This is Unfiltered, episode 274 for March 28th, 2018. I think the only diplomatic option left is to end the regime in North Korea by effectively having the South take it over. I think you've got to argue to China. That's not really diplomatic, (laughs) as far as they're concerned. Well, that's their problem, not ours. Tough talk from former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton on Fox News, where he's been a commentator for more than a decade. Now he'll serve as President Trump's third national security advisor, following the forced resignation of Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster. You guys hear that? Yes, there is a storm brewing, and it's all over at unfilter.show. Once again, this is Unfilter, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm reading all about it over on the new website, unfilter.show. With Mr. Chris Fisher. Hey, hey Chris. buddy. Oh, man, yeah. Do you got that bookmarked, uh, your Boom. homepage, unfilter.show? I just, I don't even have to because that's the only site that I go to now. Fair enough. You can have your cookies wide open. Yeah. I have my privacy settings set to full mama because you know what? <laughs> you know what? Unfilter.show is the only resource that you need all throughout the week. Don't read the news. Don't listen to the news. Don't watch the news. Not because we don't want you to be informed because dear, dear... Dear Richard Stallman, we want you to be informed, but simply, it's just bad for you. It's just bad for your health. It uh, It's no good for you. So we are going yes. to cover all of that news of that it. you shouldn't be watching. we got a new website, a new resource for the show, unfilter.show. So, so Chris. Canonical references there. So uh, yeah, a lot of things have been happening with the who? website. Yeah. Uh, we've had a lot of questions. I give it a who. That's why it's so important at the top of the show to talk about it. Yeah. So... All new episodes going forward will have the full show notes. We'll follow unfilter.show slash whatever the episode number yep. is. So the so, convention would be like for this episode would be unfilter.show slash 274. Real easy. Now, what if I went at, say, unfilter.show slash 185? Yeah. Would that get me to the right place or no? I don't know where. So we have two problems is our, our RSS feed because of limitations of podcast catchers. Uh, it doesn't have the entire 274 episode archive. So when we moved it over, some of those did not uh, did not populate the new site. We just imported the RSS feed. And so the numbers don't quite line up. So moving forward for like 272, 273, 274, that's all going to be pretty all solid. Jupiterbroadcasting.com is still around as well. Uh, but the reason we're doing this is we we just kind of want to modernize the podcast a bit. So we want to have the feeds in your podcast catcher, uh, uh, have the links, have like uh, important notes. A lot of times we'll say, check the show notes. And then if you're listening on your phone, there's... It's an extra step or yeah. two that you have to do. We yeah. don't want you to have to do that. So now we want the RSS feeds to have all of the notes. We want that to be everywhere uh, the best we can. So... Uh, it's it's a new backend system we're using. We're also using a new hosting provider for the MP3 feeds. The MP4 feeds are still being delivered via Scale Engine as always. The MP3 feeds uh, are now on Cashfly and Manda. They just smash down to your device as fast as freaking possible. Uh, unfilter.show is where you go to get the canonical site of all of our episode postings, our show notes. Also, the RSS feed is at unfilter.show slash RSS. That's easy. Yeah, and if you go to unfilter.show slash subscribe, you get all the links and stuff like that. And the contact 
Easy to shut. It's easy now. You, uh, we won't necessarily. Re- we will read it, but it does not necessarily make it on the show. But we will read it at unfiltered.show slash contact. Easy. Yeah, unfiltered.show is the re- now. The reason why we're saying at the top of the show is this happened between two seventy three and two seventy four. Yeah, and so uh, some of you are on an old feed that uh, I did not realize was out there. It was a raw XML file that Whoa. was just on the Jupiter Broadcasting site that FeedBurner and other syndication services were supposed to be chewing on. They were supposed to be picking it, but it got published. That oh, that raw XML wow. got published. So, okay, a good chunk of you are on a feed that I cannot update anymore, and so you've got to go to unfiltered.show slash subscribe to to pop that into your podcast player. If you just want the feed directly, it is unfiltered.show slash RSS. You put that in your favorite podcast catcher or whatevers, and uh, boom, you're on board. That's easy. Yeah, it's easy peasy. Unfiltered.show slash RSS is just the direct feed. Um, And then you also can just subscribe to the YouTube channel. As always, uh, we'll have stuff over on the YouTube channel like we always do and all that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you feel like that was good, right? That works. We don't often start the show out with... um, I guess, as you would say, uh, like uh, like show topics, like right. meta topics. Yeah. But this week, it felt like we needed to get that out there because I don't think, it, and that's my bad. I just don't think we fully communicated it between last episode and this episode because we didn't know about all the changes that would be happening. Makes sense. But, Mister Chase, why don't we shift gears and move into the traditional first segment of the show, and that would be cyber and ASL, buddy. This week, it's all about the Iranians, the locals, the the ransomware, and well, um. Local news that's filling in the gaps this week. Our ABC 7i team has learned tonight that Indiana government computers were among those infiltrated by Iranian hackers, one of the largest cases ever charged by the Justice Department. We have details tonight from Eyewitness News investigative reporter Chuck Gowdy. Alan, the Iran cyber attack was underway for years, according to federal law enforcement, from 2013 until late last year. Thousands of college professors here in the U.S. and around the world were among those hacked along with university computers. And tonight, the I-team learning that Iranian hacking teams uh, penetrated computers in Indiana state government offices and at the Indiana Department of Education. This indictment alleges that the defendants worked on behalf of the Iranian government, specifically the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. So the, they're going after just all kinds of different targets now, Chase. All kinds. All well, there, kinds. well, there's a lot of targets because there's a lot of people trying to hack systems right now. And there's a lot of states. There's a lot of states. But perhaps the biggest drama, uh, and uh, we've, we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, on uh, tomorrow's TechSnap program in a more technical depth. TechSnap but, tomorrow. TechSnap tomorrow. Uh, but the... <laughs> The, the 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 problem of ransomware sh- shouldn't be a problem. You're an IT guy, Chase. Yes. And if 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 uh, uh, let's just say that ransomware just rolled throughout where you work, all the desktops were infected. Um, if you tell me if you disagree, but if you had implemented things correctly and the staff were following IT policies, mm-hmm. there really shouldn't be any local data. On their desktops, like people shouldn't be saving to their C drives. So, they should be saving to like a network. Folder. So you know, uh, we are in a Windows environment, yeah. and we actually operate off of redirected profiles. If you are aware, of what oh, those that's are. yeah, yeah. So we use Sync Center. Everything actually is locally cached, but is back syncs back up to the backs, system when they log on NAS. or log off. Yeah. So they can log in anywhere in the in, in the enterprise. They have access to their data. So if a machine got infected, you know what I would do? Nuke and pave. Nuke. 
Yeah, yep, and then when done. they log back in, the profile copies back down. As long as the applications are yep. there, Bob's your uncle. Easy. Takes no time. Nope, no problem. Uh, well, um, turns out the city of Atlanta has been brought to its knees from ransomware. <gasps> we have breaking news right now. The breaking city news. of Atlanta's computers are being held hostage. The police department courts and just about every other single department is impacted by this cyber attack that is ongoing. This attacker is demanding a $51,000 ransom. Just minutes ago, the mayor said she has not decided whether the city is going to pay it. And now the FBI and Homeland Security are investigating this situation. So, you know, a basic bitch um, PC infection now turns into something that the DHS and the FBI are both working on. <laughs> and um, because apparently they didn't... Who's got the better cyber team, man? Yeah, and and <laughs> apparently the people that are in charge of their IT there didn't do their job. So it's one flat network and uh, it, all the things are encrypted. The situation is so serious, they are even considering shutting down City Hall tomorrow. 11 Alive was the first to break this story this morning with our team working to get answers all day long. And minutes ago, Ryan Kruger spoke with Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and the Chief of Police, Erica Shields. Ryan? Yeah, so Jeff, right now uh, we don't know just how far widespread this ransomware attack is. Uh, they are telling us a few departments that were not impacted. Uh, the airport was not impacted. Now they say uh, police officers, what they decided to do was basically go back 20 years in time. They're doing everything, uh, all their reports uh, by hand. Yeah, and the mayor's office said, don't use your computers, leave them off. We're not sure about payroll. And this goes on for several days. As you all know, Atlanta is experiencing outages and various internal and external uh, customer-facing applications. This is the mayor. Including some of the applications that customers use to pay bills or and also access court-related information. Our information management team is working with the FBI, Homeland Security, also external partners from Microsoft. Microsoft. So they're bringing in <laughs> they're bringing in consultants. They've got IT staff working 24 hours a day and they're spinning up Microsoft contracts. And Cisco cybersecurity incident response teams. To and Cisco. Okay. So they're spending some serious 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 money. What do you always say, Mr. Chase? Show it to me. By, by the way, Chris, yeah. Chris, breaking news, breaking, into, news? breaking news into the unfiltered program. You've you got to be kidding me right now here on right, the show. Right now. This is CNN Breaking News. Boeing has now been hit by a WannaCry virus. <laughs> but they're saying no impact. Basically, what, what do you mean no uh, impact? Per, per the Seattle Times, Boeing was hit today by the WannaCry computer virus, initially raising fears within the company that it could cripple airplane production and equipment later. Uh, the company downplayed the attack, so the production was unaffected. This actually started out in the North Charleston campus, uh, where they also produce planes now. So, oh. so there you go. Oh, interesting to that. Yes. Boeing. You know, the, the whole thing about ransomware, too, is if you have decent backups, it shouldn't be a problem. No. Uh, which Atlanta did not have, so they are, quote-unquote, rebuilding the computers from the ground up. I'm Caitlin Ross. Getting the city of Atlanta back online from this hack attack is not going to be easy or cheap. We're now on day six, and the city has been paying a top-notch company to work around the clock since this happened. Top-notch means expensive in this context. Uh -huh. Typically, these security responders charge between $350 and $450 per person per hour. Whoa, God, whoa, dude. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, Chris, man. 
I'm done. We are. I, I'm, I'm I out of here. I know. I'm serious. We are so in the wrong business. It's not wow. even funny. That's just the manpower it's going to take to get back online. More and more hackers are targeting local governments because they can be easy targets. I agree with that. They're strapped on money. Even if they have the money, it's hard to get the talent. And when you have the talent, it's hard to, to spread it wide enough to cover everything that they have to see. Or it's even harder to keep the talent because since you are getting paid next to nothing... Uh, and they drug screen all the time. <laughs> and you can't get the good quality talent. <laughs> it's true. The drug screening thing is a real problem. I like this the, how local this interview is. So, like, this guy comes to the local news office. Yeah. You know how this goes down. He gets in there like, yeah, thank you for coming, uh, Mr. So-and-so. All right, well, let's go up to the roof. Uh, it seems to be a nice, a nice shot. Out. Yeah. And we'll do an interview. They give him the lapel mic. He throws it over his shoulder. You can actually see the, see the cord. Wire. Yeah. 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 <laughs> At least I'm talented enough to put it down I know, my you shirt. Tuck it. No, he didn't even bother tucking well, it. Well, actually, you could see it over his arm, too, down yeah, there at the bottom. Because he there. tucked it under the collar for a hot second there, and uh, then it just goes over nah, the shoulder. he just loses it. have the talent. It's hard to, to spread it wide it. enough to cover everything that they have to see. So I think that there are things that they could have done better, obviously. Cut. So far, the city says they have no idea how long it will take to get them back online. At least and now six that months. the portal to pay the hackers has closed, they've gone from the portal chase, the portal to Wait, close the so hackers. So they can't even pay the hackers? Nope. Get nope. them back online. And now that the portal to pay the hackers has the portal, because in technology we use portals. Closed, they've gone from ransom mode to rebuild mode. And for some of the infected computers, they'll have to rebuild from the ground up. So this could take months. Mm. Yeah, months. I mean, I know. they're going to have to replace every chip. And I mean, then. I mean, first off, you got to install Windows. You got to melt the sand. And then after <laughs> you install Windows, you got to wait for it to patch, which could take a couple <laughs> of days. And then you uh, got to reinstall <laughs> Office. Oh, God. I've misplaced my disk. Yeah. And so uh, so if these guys didn't have any backups, then they deserve the laughs we're giving them. I mean, I appreciate yeah. the difficult situation. I have been there when you didn't uh, properly cover something and then it crashes. I've been in that position. but uh, and, I, and I get the fact that some municipalities, you know, they can't afford, honestly, to upgrade some systems because of cost, of course, and software and things like that. But now you got no choice. Yeah. Uh, so techsnap.systems, check out this week's episode that should come out tomorrow. We'll talk about how you can build a network in a way where your users can't just crypto all the things. <laughs> it's some pretty basic stuff you can do. Uh, and a couple other tips we have for you in the TechSnap program. But uh, it's not just Atlanta. It's not just Iranian hackers that are attacking Indiana. No, Chase. No. Baltimore is also having a cyber attack of their very own. For 17 hours Saturday, Baltimore's automated 911 system hacked and offline as dispatchers were forced to take over manual operations. It's not clear who was behind the attack, and the city insists no emergency calls were missed. But dispatch veterans say the very fact hackers could get into a 911 system is very troubling. Any attack in the 911 center in and of itself is bad. Any attack in the 911 center in conjunction with any other type of an attack within the community is horrific. The Baltimore cyber attack, just the latest, aimed at critical city operations. Just today, Atlanta city employees were given the okay to turn their computers and printers back on after a cyber attack last Thursday. City workers reverted to pen and paper after hackers <gasps> demanded $51,000 to unlock the city's computers. What's with the 51000 number? That's just what the Bitcoin cost uh, uh, at the time that they came up with the number Thank you. worked out to when you looked at all of the workstations and the servers that got infected.
Okay, because those also fifty one thousand for Atlanta, so yeah. that kind of piqued my ears. A yeah, bit. yeah. Though they're talking about Atlanta, so that yeah. yeah. On after a cyber attack last Thursday, city workers reverted to pen and paper. Oh no! After hackers demanded fifty one thousand dollars to unlock the city's computers. Several departments have been affected by the attack. However. This is their new chief operating officer, first week on the job. Oh, boy. We can say that our departments of public safety, water services operation, and airport are operating without incident. Other cities recently hacked. Sarasota, Florida, leads Alabama, which paid thousands of dollars to regain payroll and personnel files, and Charlotte, North Carolina, which had backed up its systems and refused to pay a ransom. So the funny thing about these reports is that they talk about these as if it's like... um. It uh, is some sort of like uh, uh, active attack, like somebody is sitting behind a keyboard and they're and they're uh, they're actively going after somebody's network. But the reality is a lot of these ransomwares are sort of like bear traps that users stumble into and then they spring and they encrypt all the things. It's not that somebody is sophisticatedly bypassing your firewall, taking advantage of a zero day exploit in your core infrastructure yep. and then deploying software with escalated privilege to all of your endpoints. That's not what's happening here. No. What's happening here is your dumb shit users are accidentally clicking on malware and then it just goes all over the place. Yeah. And it's the worst. It is the worst because it's low-hanging fruit that you could have protected yourself from. I will say that my company has done a really good job in educating our users about cybersecurity. Uh, and actually, we've gotten them to the point now where they get a phishing link in their email, yeah. they are quick to ask us, oh, good. hey, is this legit? Is this yeah. good? I mean, and that's what you want. You yep. want people to be suspect yeah. of these kind of things. Yeah, if you can if you can get people to just kind of think a little bit before they click the stuff or, you know, all that, that really makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. And then if you can sort of architect things in a way where you can blow away workstations or you have data backups or even snapshots uh, where you could just say, we don't need to spend $51,000, we'll just revert to yesterday's data state. Yep. If you have those capabilities, then there is really really zero risk of this ransomware. You got to back it up to get it back, Chris. That's right. Now, let's talk about Facebook. What? Yeah. What's Facebook? We don't talk about it ever in this show, but man, have they had a bad week. And now it looks like the FTC is going to make sure that one of my red book predictions comes true. <laughs> now, a new trouble for Facebook. The FTC has confirmed that it's investigating the social media giant for possibly compromising privacy as concerns grow about Facebook collecting phone and text message data from users who click a specific button on their profiles. This is Rebecca Jarvis here with the latest. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, George. This is pretty shocking for a lot of people. Facebook says it is collecting the call and text history of some users who've opted into sharing that information. It's all in the fine print, but the backlash is growing as many discover just how much data the social network has about them and their friends. Do you feel like this has been a little bit of, uh, well, yeah? Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? I'm happy. Yeah, me that, too. Yeah, that this is being brought to light because a lot of people they didn't probably fully appreciate. How, how many, it. I mean, I know you don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, Chris. Do but, not. But how many times do you see people post on their Facebook wall? Is it called a wall still? Of like, what Star Wars character am I? And what happens is they don't realize that you've just given that particular app. All of your information, and you've also agreed to let them look at all your right. friends' lists and all this stuff. Yeah. A lot of people just blindly click. You know, it's the same thing like the EULAs. It's the same concept, and now people are starting to pay attention. 
This morning, Facebook under fire, the pressure intensifying in the wake of that Cambridge Analytica privacy scandal affecting up to 50 million users. Eh. The tech titans stock down 10% over the last week. It's more than that now. CEO Mark Zuckerberg alone losing nearly $10 billion in net worth in just 11 days. Plus, at least three major companies pulling their ads off the platform. It's actually, it's like $60 billion now in stock value. It's huge. Uh, and the conversation has turned to exactly what I said it would about a month ago. Before any of this Cambridge Analytica stuff broke, I said the next conversation about Facebook is going to be regulation. Now we're going to go to the latest at Facebook. Executive Sheryl Sandberg speaking out overnight after big questions for lawmakers and users about the social networks, social networking sites control of user data. CEO Mark Zuckerberg saying this week was the company's worst mistake and the site should be regulated. And now Sandberg, the chief operating officer, being more specific, saying it's not a question of if regulation, it's a question of what type. Mm. And and not that don't that goes for more than just Facebook. It's for all these sites social out media, there. Yeah, yeah wake up social call. media. And, yeah, and, yeah, it's a wake up call. Well, and there's a, talk about creating an EPA for social media. What I, what I really think there needs to be, and now I know uh, today Facebook was, uh, are they reporting that they're going to be changing the privacy controls to make things simpler for people to go in and control their data. I think there needs to be a very easy way for users of all platforms of social media to know what they're specifically sharing, and you know, and they can turn that on and off. Do you and, include Google search? That's tough. I think it's a whole separate category. I mean, we're talking about social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Google, they just, you know, they create these bots and machines to just go out and scrub anything that's out there, right? So the reason why I ask is because, uh, so if you shut down Facebook, you're going to just, somebody, well, like, okay. So let's talk about in the context of elections. So uh, these these election organizations, if you shut down Facebook as a, um, a, a purveyor of information, they'll just go to the next company, be it Twitter or be it Google, because... Uh, the issue is it's so valuable to these campaigns. The president has put in place an organization that contains the kind of database mm -hmm. that no one has ever seen before in life. So the, the, the core concern here, and I don't tend to agree with Maxine Waters, but I 100% agree with her on the following, is that politicians now have this, this super data-rich um, set on, on the American public that as long as you're alive is going to be pretty accurate in terms of how your personality works and what buttons trigger you. That's going to be very, very powerful. And whoever... In terms of the organizing for America that he's now shifting to become a 501c4. That's right. That's right. And that database will have information about everything on every individual in mm -hmm. ways that it's never been done before. And this has caused quite a bit of controversy. People are concerned that this has been used to manipulate the vote. And whoever runs for president on the Democratic ticket have to deal with that. They're going to have to go down with that database and the concerns of those people are because they can't get around it. And he's been very smart. I mean, it's very powerful what he's leaving in place. And I think that's what any Democratic candidate is going to have to deal with. Now, the only catch there, of course, is that's Maxine Waters from 2013 talking about Barack Obama. You see, back in 2012, 2013, it was celebrated that Obama had all of the data. 
Gone are the days when campaigns target whole regions just on a hunch. Now they are so-called micro-targeting individual voters using sophisticated ways to figure out who they can persuade. This is a CNN report from just after Obama won in 2012. We pointed cameras at them, showed you the conventional way they ran their campaigns. And we'll reaffirm. But far from the rallies and debates, in office back rooms and cubicles, there was another campaign, a silent, humming machine targeting your vote. Did you get an invitation to try to win a dinner with actress Sarah Jessica Parker? Did you get an email from Michelle Obama calling you friend? Did you get a banner ad for a campaign when you were surfing the net? Turns out you were targeted for these things by a sophisticated campaign technique called data mining. It's in the bloodstream of the Internet. An effort to find out who individual voters are and how they'll respond to campaign messages. The goal is to come up with an individual level statistical prediction of your likelihood of supporting their candidate or of casting a ballot at all. Then they target you for ads. The Obama campaign is widely believed to have had the most sophisticated data mining operation. What they don't tell you is where they got that data from is Facebook. And this is Obama's campaign manager saying without that data, they wouldn't have won the election. My name is Jim Messina. I served as campaign manager to Barack Obama's uh, presidential campaign. I've done campaigns all across the country. Uh, Thank you for the applause in the back. Hold your applause. (laughs) Uh, And we decided on the first day of the campaign to use data across department uh, because we thought it was the best avenue to, to the truth. And we ended up using data to inform almost every major decision we did in the campaign. And we had a singular goal to run a personalized campaign where you got a different campaign than you did. Uh, all based on our ability to move you and persuade you to vote and support Barack Obama. And there's 332 electoral votes. It shows it worked. Yeah, that's kind of funny. You see, because it wasn't just Obama. It wasn't just Trump. All of the candidates, especially Hillary, but all of the candidates wanted the data. Texas Senator Ted Cruz's campaign is obsessed with data. If there's political science research proving an idea works, there's a good chance his staff has studied it. That's why Cruz didn't back down last month when the campaign came under fire for sending mail to Iowa voters, shaming them for not showing up to vote in recent elections. And I will apologize to nobody for using every tool we can to encourage Iowa voters to come out and vote. NPR is Scott Detrow. So this this whole thing about uh, Cambridge Analytica, while I agree is some dirty S isn't any new dirty ass necessarily. Uh, the difference here would primarily be uh, in, from the difference between 2012 with Obama is um, that Obama built an in-house data collection team and got their own access to it, their own copy of the Facebook data, which they passed on to the Clinton campaign. The Clinton campaign had that whole set. In fact, we've even played a clip in the overtime in the past where Hillary went on about how the DNC's data was such shit and that how she had much better data and that their data was superior. Like this whole thing about like data driven and getting data from Facebook, it it is a larger issue. It is a bigger problem and there is a possibility, like a brief possibility, I feel like, that maybe people can start to understand the value of their personal data here, maybe. Well, and well, and this so. demonstrates it. Well, I mean, you see it happening with the Experian, you know, data breach. You, you see it happening. Boy, it sure is a slow boil then. Uh, yeah. I mean, you saw it with uh, with the Yahoo breach. Uh. And then you're, you're seeing it now with this. I mean, obviously, there's ones in, in the middle there that I'm not talking about. But yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. People, I think people... 
are slowly starting to become aware. The the only problem, I guess, is there's something I don't want to say special about Facebook because that feels not right. But because what about the NSA? What about Google? Right. <laughs> yeah, and people need to be more concerned about that. But at the end of the day, you know, you want to see you know those cute dog pictures or what's happening with your best friend across the street. You know. People want an, a, a platform to simply keep in contact with people. So you're saying that Facebook is so big now that it's too big to delete? Like it's gotten too influential? No, I, I think this opens up a small creek, you know, small little gap in the door for a competing possible mm. platform, I think, mm. too. Yeah. I, I, and Facebook's in a position now where they have to pretend – like Facebook has gotten away with so much over the years. Oh, yeah. They have really thrived in an environment of being able to do whatever the hell they want. And that's what's helped them grow to a multi-billion dollar business so quickly. Now they're in a position where they have to pretend like they really, really want your trust and they're not going to do anything wrong with your data. And so they have to just sit there and bear and grin and say, yes, yes, we would really like regulation as they smile through their teeth, even though they know that it's been their freewheeling nature that's gotten them this far to begin with. And is that going to hurt your business as well? We run this company for the protection of our community and people. They run Facebook, Chase. For the protection of the Facebook community. That's why Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg get up every day is for the protection of the community. This as well. We run this company for the protection of our community. I like that she shakes her head no and closes her eyes as she says it. It's always convincing when somebody's shaking their head no. no. We do this for this reason that she shakes her head no and closes her eyes. Shaking your head no, but you really mean yes. People, that's not how we look at it. We're not looking at these trade-offs like, oh, it's going to hurt our business. Over the long run, and even in the immediate term, people's trust is the most important thing we have. What that really means there, that's corporate speak for, we can't operate as a platform if our users are bailing on us because they don't trust us. (laughs) Yes. So even in the short term, financially, if it costs us significantly, those are the risks that we have to take and the moves we have to take to ensure that our users still continue to use our platform so we can make money long term. Yeah, and I was was just going to say that, you know, they're diversifying your data while they are diversifying their investments and their, you know, ways of making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over the long run and even in the immediate term, yeah. people's trust is the most important thing we have. And that is going to make how we make those decisions on regulation. Mark has said it's not a question of if regulation, it's a question of what type. Right now, we are not even waiting for regulation. The most likely legislation is around ads. We've gone ahead and built transparency tools ourselves. So Mark is um, okay with regulations, but you notice that she didn't say she was there. And then when she says the most likely regulation is going to be around ads, so we've already gone ahead and built transparency. Yeah, we're fine. Uh, regulate everybody else. Right. Well, that, what, that's, what that's corporate tease for is when you begin to design your regulation – Take a light touch because we've already taken the proactive steps, so we just need a light touch of regulation. You know, just a light touch of net neutrality. I mean, you know, just we, a light, light touch. touch is around ads. We've gone ahead and built transparency tools ourselves, and we're putting them out so people can see, and then people can help us find the bad ads. People can see what's happening and help us take it. Wait, down. wait, people wait. didn't report the bad ads, so it didn't show up on our system. You know, we want to be proactive about these things. But people need to tell us. 
We don't know because we don't want to hire anybody. We just the want to scale use is so large. We just, people don't tell us. We just want to use computers. Machine and, learning. Right. Machine learning. We don't want to hire people. We want you to work for free yeah. for us. Machine learning and, and crowdsourced reports. Please. And if you don't crowdsource report it, our machines can't learn. Oh, no, please People can us. help us find the bad ads. People can see what's happening and help us take it down. It sounds like you almost would welcome regulation. Are you asking for regulation? We're Notice how she won't say yes to happening this. And help us take it down. It sounds like you almost would welcome regulation. Are you asking for regulation? We're open to regulation. We work with lawmakers all over the world. I don't know why, but that gives me a sinking feeling in my stomach a little yeah, bit. Yeah, why are they? I don't know. If something's up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you don't usually see a company going, you know what? It's okay. Now now we can well, be Well, you do if it's part of your marketing. Yeah. We'll t- well, yeah, well, you know, we'll just we'll just pretend like it's okay. You know, we will be regulated because we're going to hide deep in like some terms of service. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, blah, blah, we'll blah. just come up with new things. Government's slow. We can come up with new ways to make money. You know, Chris, what I'll do is I'll post on my Facebook wall that Facebook does not have my permission to take my pictures and use them. I, I feel <laughs> I feel that will work. You know, maybe the U.S. government used Facebook to figure out there were sixty Russian spies amongst us right here even in seattle president trump meanwhile expelling 60 russians from the Whoa. u.s they've been given a week you're to get gone out. it follows of course britain's move and several other countries after that nerve agent attack on a former russian spy and his daughter here in the u.s people seen leaving the russian mission to the u.n with suitcases getting into vans in new york city today what about the whole alleged aspect of that? Like, I understand um, that that's believed that the Russians were involved with the poisoning. I'm not totally buying it still. And this is ABC World News. Like, shouldn't there be a alleged thrown in there when we're talking about the Russian poisoning? I'm just tossing hey, that President out President Trump, meanwhile, expelling 60 Russians from the U.S. They've been given a week to get out. It follows, of course, Britain's move and several other countries after that nerve agent attack on a former Russian spy and his daughter. Here in the U.S., people seen leaving the Russian mission to the U.N. with suitcases getting into vans in New York City today. And tonight, Russia is now vowing to retaliate. Here's ABC senior White House correspondent Cecilia Vega. In his toughest action against the Kremlin to date, President Trump today ordered 60 Russians to leave the country, giving them just a week to pack up and go. The intelligence and diplomatic officers expelled from Washington and New York, a Russian consulate in Seattle also shuttered. A direct response to Moscow's alleged nerve agent poisoning of a former Russian spy and his daughter on British soil. Three weeks passed between the attacks and the expulsions. What took so long? Well, I mean, actions like this take time, and we coordinated with, again, over a dozen allies. The president has acknowledged Russia's role. It's a very sad situation. It certainly looks like the Russians were behind it, Uh, something that should never, ever happen. But just days later, he called Vladimir Putin to praise him for winning re-election. I had a uh, call with President Putin and congratulated him on the victory, his electoral victory. The Washington Post reports the president ignored advisers who suggested he condemn Putin for the U.K. poison attack during that call. The two leaders on the phone the same day Britain sent 23 diplomats home on a flight from London to Moscow. Now at least 20 nations expelling more than 100 Russian diplomats. We are moving fast with this one. We are moving so fast. So we don't even have any final investigations. Nothing's wrapped up yet. The White House today pressed on why the president's own words don't seem to match his administration's aggressive actions. 
The president wants to work with Russia, but their actions uh, sometimes don't allow that to happen. All right, so let's get to Cecilia Vega. She's live at the White House tonight. And Cecilia, the Russian foreign minister today, vowing retaliation, saying the— Oh, let's, we'll come back to this. Okay, yeah, so um, this is moving super fast. So the U.S. is kicking out 60 folks that we've known to be spies all along, apparently, because of some poisoning attacks in another country that right. is unrelated to us that didn't violate any of our laws that hasn't even been proven well, yet. Well, did you hear why they're closing the Seattle location? They're closing the Seattle location because of its close proximity yes, to Boeing, to and, Boeing the Navy. and the Navy bases. Uh, so, so let me get this straight. Does that mean that these Russian, you know, so-called spies are are because we don't know, we really don't know. They're going up to what the front gate and they're peering into the the military installation. <laughs> Maybe they're listening to radio. Are, are they going on the Boeing tour? <laughs> I mean, I feel bad. Like there was a lady. Uh, we covered the story. Uh, so when they this broke, you know, we had a crew, news crew down there at the mm-hmm. Russian consulate. Mm-hmm. This lady was like, she had an appointment to go to the consulate. She's a Russian citizen, and she, you know, she needed visa assistance. And they're like, no, you're going to have to go to Houston or Washington D.C. now. Yeah, how would you feel? You just traveled all that That's way. That's a bit of a distance. Oh my god! You know, so I mean, really, this only hurts R- Russian citizens that are caught in the crossfire on this. And this is a huge. I I, I said it mm-hmm. before. It's and I'm a gonna, mansion they're shutting but, down. But uh, yeah, and actually, the local residents are pissed off because they've left their Christmas lights up. Uh, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> seriously. But but Incredible. you know. But honestly, I I feel that this is just a huge like dog and pony show. I really yeah. do because I think a lot of people have gotten tough on the president. That you haven't been tough enough on Russia. You're you're not showing. You're, you're acting like you're your buddy buddy. And I've then been this wondering. Happens. I've been wondering like who I, is calling the shots? Who's coordinating this? This it seems like so. It's it's a very coordinated worldwide action. Somebody is behind the scenes on all of this, uh, and it's just um, again there hasn't been any solid proof. It seems pretty inconceivable that Russia would do this right now. At this point in time, when they want to close up those oil pipeline deals, the World Cup is just around the corner. The heat's been turned up super high. The election, it was the week of the election, like, for it's Putin. It's odd timing. It it's really bad timing. Is. Yeah. And then how rushed it's been when it's rushed like this. Yeah. It just doesn't. It doesn't feel well. Now, to be fair, the administration has done a lot of these, like what feels to be rushed decisions on a lot of various topics. And then what happens? Yeah, but is, there, but it's so many countries that are doing this right now. I Canada's doing this too. Uh, I heard. I mean, yeah, it's it's odd. And of course, Russia is not going to just be like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Russia promises to respond harshly to an unprecedented international rebuke. Surprise! More than 20 countries announced yesterday they are expelling Russian diplomats. The U.S. ordered 60 Russians to leave and will close the Russian consulate in Seattle. This feels like a house cleaning. We, we, we got rid of the most. Uh, did you hear about New Zealand? It's no. kind of adorable. No. Uh, so New Zealand wanted to get all in on board. They wanted to be tough against Russia. Like, yeah, let's go screw those guys. Let's, do it. let's go kick out some Russian spies. Yeah, hoorah. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Oh, shit. We don't have any Russian spies. <laughs> we are not important enough for Russia to spy on we us. We don't have an embassy. We don't have anybody to kick out. Yeah. 
ordered 60 Russians to leave and will close the Russian consulate in Seattle. The coordinated action is in response to Russia's alleged use of a nerve agent. You know, a nerd agent. A nerd agent. So uh, this alleged use of a nerd agent, which hasn't even been proven yet, which happened in a country that is um, not any of these 19 other countries. I, I will say this, Chris. It hasn't been proven to the public. And I think we really, I think we have to be fair and make that yeah. distinction just because honestly, man, we don't, we are I, not told everything. I will say this. You are giving them the benefit of the doubt. I, know. I don't know if they have earned the benefit of the doubt, but I, you are giving it to them. No, I, I, <laughs> I agree. I agree. But the, I, I do know, I mean, and we've, we've seen these redacted and confidential things happen all the time. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. So I, you know, sometimes. I, I'm, I'm willing to give a half an ounce of it's a benefit. Possible. It yeah. is possible. Fuck the EU. Oh. To poison former spy Sergei Skripal <laughs> and his daughter in Britain. Charlie Daggett is in Moscow with Russia's reaction. Charlie, good morning. Charlie? Good morning. Well, in addition to expulsions, the Russians are considering which U.S. consulate to close here. That's after the Trump... Eeny, meeny, Wait, which consulate? Miny. How many do you have in Moscow? We have a few. In Moscow? Yeah. So there's this whole un, unspoken tit for tat thing where we send our guys to Russia, they send their guys well, to the Well, US. I know that's normal, but like Yeah, we got guys. Russia doesn't have like five consulates in like DC. I mean, <laughs> no they don't. No, why do we have multiple consulates in Russia. Cuz that's how or we roll, bro. That's how we roll. Wow. The administration shut down Russia's consulate in Seattle, blaming diplomats there of being intelligence officers so close to the US naval base and Boeing headquarters. Did you know that most of the CIA agents that are deployed around the world are doing it under the credentials of a, of a diplomat? Yeah, yeah. It's fast becoming the most serious diplomatic crisis since the Cold War. Unprecedented numbers and an unexpectedly hard line from a Trump administration that's been reluctant to square off against President Vladimir Putin. So this is, uh, remember how just like two weeks ago I was like, dude, this is like the third round of sanctions that the Trump administration has done against Putin. So now this is like the third, so we have three rounds of sanctions, plus we have the 60 diplomats that have been kicked out. Um, like the administration, as far as the Trump administration goes, has been so far the most Russia hostile administration since I've been watching this stuff. It's been, it's been, well, it's been ramping up. Yeah, it has been. A show of solidarity for Britain after the assassination attempt of former double agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter in Salisbury, England, three weeks ago. So I don't even um, disbelieve that it could just be a simple show of solidarity. That is entirely possible. Something more happening. The thing is, is do you do you demonstrate solidarity by provoking a world power that has nukes? That that's why, Chris. I feel like while this appears to be a big deal, part of me feels like it may be just for show. Yeah. Well, we need no proof. Just ask the State Department spokeshole. We need no proof. It's just about our bond. Uh, Sixty Russian diplomats have been ordered to leave the U.S. in response to Russia's alleged involvement in the poisoning of double agent Sergei Skripal in the U.K. It's part of a coordinated series of expulsions by Western countries. Do you know that Sergei there, uh, he was in prison for 13 years for being a double agent in Russia? If they wanted to kill him. They could have. Why not kill him while he was in prison? Why kill him after years after he's been released? Because it's kind of like the double reverse agent. Maybe they killed him 
to uh, show a message yeah. and to start something. When they, why not just kill him? In, you could send the same message, kill him no, while no. you got him in jail. No, but if you kill him in prison, it doesn't cause any of this, this stuff that's happening now. The stuff that's going to cause them even more maybe, international strife and marginalize Russia even more, that stuff? Yeah, maybe – well, maybe that's what they want to call it. Man, I thought I – thought, I just don't understand because I thought Putin was some sort of master 40 chess player who could predict that Donald Trump was going to be elected three or four months before he won the general election. Well, he did because remember, he did rig the election, Chris. Yeah, so if he is so smart that he can rig the election, how come he misread this one and I, he had these guys killed? I don't know. <laughs> I thought. I mean, you can't yeah, tell me know, he's a dummy saying. and he's a he's a forty chess player. Like <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it doesn't add up. You, well, that, that's the, that's the thing. Right, one thing doesn't equal the other. Yeah, he's either super cunning and yeah. able to manipulate entire nations' elections, or he's some sort of you, brutal you, thug that just kills people in the most public way possible with excessive amounts of chemicals. Stephen our chat room says, well, maybe the message is we don't want any more spy swaps. Skripal mm. in the UK. Part of a coordinated series of expulsions by Western countries, Uh, the U.S. State Department says it takes the U.K.'s word that Russia was responsible for the attack. We certainly know that Russia is responsible for that attack. That is something that is not in question. That's something that the Brits and many other countries have said as well. Not in question. Brits have said it. Well, we stand strongly with our ally, with the U.K. And when the U.K. tells us that they have proof that they know Russia was responsible. Good enough. We have every reason to believe them. You know what? Good enough. They would never lie to us. Okay. Okay. You haven't seen seen their their evidence, their proof? I have. Oh, wait. Oh, is that is that our buddy? That's Matt. Hey, Matt. Okay. Uh, You haven't seen their their evidence, their proof. I've not personally seen their proof. That would not come over to the State Department. It's always cute when uh, the defense Uh, for the spokeshole goes, no, personally have not been involved with those discussions. Well, no, you're a press person. You were asking because you're supposed to be representing the entire department. Uh, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, and she'll tell you, the problem is, is you can't trust the Ruskies. They got long arms and tentacles. They're kind of like a deep sea beast. We have long said uh, that Russia remains uh, a country that is interested in fiddling with other people's elections. Fiddling. The United States, Not uh, meddling this time. It's fiddling. Uh, a country that is interested in fiddling with other people's elections. The United States. Uh, that is not unique to the United States. We've seen that in Mexico. We've seen that in France. Uh, European countries that have elections coming up, we've seen Russian attempts at meddling and also with the um, with propaganda as well. So <laughs> we can't say that the United States is going to be any safer from its no. election as a result. Russia no. has long arms. Russia yeah. has lots of tentacles. Oh. Uh, we imagine that That's they will uh, continue to have an interest in our elections, but also many other nations' elections as well. Arms okay. and Arms and tentacles. <laughs> Here's Matt again, making sure he's got the quote. Elections, but also many other nations' elections as well. Arms okay. And Arms and tentacles. Uh, that's right. Quite a, quite a beast. It's, it's like a, it's, Can you just? I, I just wanna... It's a beast from the deep sea. Uh. <laughs> that's our uh, that's our uh, chief diplomacy department, the yeah, State Department. Yeah, there you go. Mm. <laughs> you know, she used to work at Fox News. I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell, can't you? I can tell. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, my favorite guy, um, one of my good buddies, deep, 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 passionate, longtime friend, godfather, if I could have my way, John Bolton. <laughs> Your buddy. Yeah, got some good news this week. You know, <clears throat> he does. He sings it better, you know, when a man loves a woman than yeah. anybody I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, just, I should have gotten that. I forgot about that. 
Uh, I want to go back in time. Before he even sung, uh, before he did karaoke, John Bolton was a controversial nominee for the UN ambassador position by George W. Bush. Yeah, Bush Jr. In fact, he was so controversial that he couldn't pass the nomination hearings. And it wasn't even Democrats that were C-blocking him. It was Bush's own Republicans that felt that Bolton was so so much of a hothead. He was so controversial that he couldn't be approved. He could not represent the United States of America. And so President Bush had only one option. He had to sit back and he had to wait. And on a day when Congress was at recess, Bush swoops in, taking what he considers to be his uh, constitutional authority. To the United Nations. The United States Senate held thorough confirmation hearings, and a majority of United States senators agree that he is the right man for the job. Now, the issue was they needed 60 votes, but they couldn't ever get past 50. It was mostly in the 40s. Republicans just wouldn't vote for the guy. Yet because of partisan delaying tactics by a handful of senators, John was unfairly denied the up or down vote that he deserves. He deserves it, Chase. Deserves it. As a result, America has now gone more than six months without a permanent ambassador to the United Nations. Now, keep in mind, this is post-Iraq war. I mean, post-Iraq invasion. So the Iraq war is going on at this time. So this is the sort of um, context and justification, the momentum he uses to ram this through during a recess. This post is too important to leave vacant any longer especially during a war and a vital debate about U.N. reform. So today I've used my constitutional authority to appoint John Bolton to serve as America's ambassador to the United Nations. John Bolton will be an important member of my State Department team, led by Condoleezza Rice. Now, unfortunately for old John there, uh, it only lasted one short year because after that, the Democrats uh, came in and they sweeped the Senate and uh, there was no way in hell they were ever going to approve John Bolton. So the recess appointment had to get replaced. And uh, so John Bolton had one short year there in the State Department. And in that short time, he managed to get himself in quite a bit of controversy. After that, he left... And he joined the think tank system for the right. He really got involved deep in foreign policy, which made him a perfect candidate to become a commentator on Fox News. Mm -hmm. So John Bolton now for many years has been a commentator on Fox News. And the news breaks. So, of course, Fox runs with it. Breaking just moments ago, the news that General H.R. McMaster, who is the second national security advisor for wait, the Trump administration. Wait, Chris, I thought McMaster uh, was fine. I thought he wasn't going to go anywhere. A good guy. I mean, didn't uh, didn't the press secretary, uh, what's her name, Sarah Sanders, said, yeah, no no staff changes Lifetime at all? friend. He's yep. A, okay. I'm just... Problem was, is he's not hawkish. He's, uh... Uh, he, he doesn't want to kill enough people. Well, H.R. McMaster, who is the second national security advisor for the Trump administration, will be leaving that post in early April. Former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., John Bolton, will be his replacement. Moments ago, President Trump breaking the news, as he often does, about our next guest. Sending out this tweet. 
Now, this is awkward because uh, here's how it goes down in real time. Bolton goes to the White House. He already has this interview and a following interview on Fox News booked for the evening because he's a reoccurring commentator. Whenever they want a hardliner, whenever they want somebody to come on and say, we should bomb them, we should yeah. bomb North Korea, we should bomb Iran. A quarter. Yeah. Yeah. You bring on John Bolton. So he is on the Fox News payroll. And so he was already booked for two shows on Fox News this evening. But in the morning, he has a meeting with Donald Trump. And as far as John Bolton knew, the the discussions that took place at that meeting would be revealed later on in April. He was sort of taken back by this tweet. He didn't know this tweet was coming. I am pleased to announce that effective April 9, Ambassador John Bolton will be my new national security advisor. I'm very thankful for the service of General H.R. McMaster, who has done an outstanding job and will always remain my friend. There will be an official contact handover on April the 9th. Here now, former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, John Bolton, former Fox News contributor. Uh, good to have you here. Now, it gets former. a little... Yeah. He's still a contributor. He's well, contributing right now. That's what he says. This evening, sir. Um, your reaction to your new job? Well, I think I still am a Fox News contributor. Uh, <laughs> no, you're not, I did, apparently. <laughs> I did... Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I still am a Fox News contributor. Uh, <laughs> no, you're I, not, I didn't, apparently. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, well, I haven't started there yet. So uh, uh, that uh, demonstrates, I think, the sort of limbo that right. uh, that I'm in because I didn't really expect an announcement uh, this uh, this afternoon. But it's uh, it's obviously a a great honor. It's always an honor to serve our country. And now, the problem with uh, good old John there is uh, he's sort of one of these. Uh, just uh, go in and kill them all and then ask questions later kind of guy. He's uh, he's sort of famous for saying, uh, and Chase, maybe you know. Mm. I, I didn't know this until I watched John, but John told me, and uh, I watched on the live stream, do you know how to tell when uh, a North Korean regime member is lying? Do you know how to tell? I have no idea. You don't? Come on, Chase, no. think about it. H how does a uh, regime... Uh, how do you know when the North Korean regime is lying? Tell me when you're ready to guess and I'll pull the... I'm going to guess. I know I'm probably going to be wrong, but I'll guess anyway. Okay. So go ahead and pull it. The flag lapel pin is upside down. <laughs> I didn't. I, uh... <laughs> no, Chase. It's because they've opened their mouth and their lips are moving. Oh. So John Bolton's not big on uh, diplomacy with North Korea or Iran. In fact, John Bolton's on the record for saying that Iran is the next security threat, which uh, and, uh, I think particularly in these uh, times internationally, uh, it's a it's a particular honor. So I'm still sort of uh, getting used to it, and I'm sure it'll take a little more getting used so to. You were at the White House this afternoon, and the president offered you this position then or before then. Well, it's uh, it it came to a conclusion this afternoon, and uh, but as I say, there there's still a transition. I look. It's, he's, the reason why it's awkward is because he's being paid to answer questions, but he can't answer questions now because he doesn't want to get in trouble with Donald Trump. Uh, so just before all this goes down, he goes on Cucker Tuckerson. And this has got to be one of the most awkward interviews <laughs> I've ever seen. I cut it down. The the full Monty is about 13 minutes long, wow. and it gets really awkward early in. But I will summarize. Uh, so uh, Cucker is trying to work out uh, John Bolton's um, foreign policy position. And uh, 
One of the things that John Bolton is famous for is he believes it was a great decision to invade Iraq, defends it to this day. And so they begin to discuss how that is outside the mainstream and how it seems to have just caused a lot more problems. ...to overthrow him. And that's simply not... I, I would never argue that. I'm, you, I'm merely arguing the you, macro you have picture to. since you... Well, you, you just said that Iran is the single greatest threat to us and to that region. I think you'll concede that Saddam was the greatest counterbalance to Iran and they were empowered by his, by his fall. So... I think it's fair to say if you think Iran is the real threat that way, you know, it's kind of hard to defend that decision. So so what Cucker's trying to just simply say is the reason why Iran is as powerful as they are today is because we took down Saddam. Right? No, because I think your analysis is simple-minded, frankly. Okay. The Iranian threat, which stems from the revolution of 1979, uh, was underway quite apart from what Saddam Hussein was doing. The Iranians have been trying to get nuclear weapons for 25 Wait, years. So you don't think the Saddam fall of Hussein's Saddam made Iran stronger? I think it made uh, it, the the fall of Saddam. No, did not make Iran stronger. What made Iran stronger ultimately was the withdrawal of American forces uh, in 2011. That's him blaming Obama now. So what he's saying is, really, it's Obama's fault that I run. Not that we took down the counterbalance that was keeping them in check. <laughs> no, it's because Obama didn't keep tens of thousands of troops in Iraq forces uh, in 2011. So if you, I mean, I, I'm not saying you're the only person who thinks that. You're the only person I have met who thinks that. What would you say if you could sum up the one lesson from what has happened in Iraq? What would it be? Well, I think the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, that military action, was a resounding success. Uh, I th- what do you think about that? <sighs> no. And this I, is say, the n- say, say that to all the families of all the soldiers who went in there. Because under the premise that they thought they were chemical weapons, remember the whole chemical weapons thing that was touted by this guy right here, touted by this guy. And guess what? Nope. Nope. They weren't there. They didn't find anything. So I wouldn't call it a success. National security advisor. I I would be using different words in that aspect. (laughs) Hussein, that military action was a resounding success. Uh, I think the mistakes that were made subsequently... Uh, setting up the coalition provisional authority and others that followed from it uh, are lessons about what to do after a regime is overthrown. But I'd also point out, because of President Bush's surge policy... You know, we're still learning. When it comes to overthrowing regimes, we're still learning. So Obama came in, and he really screwed the whole thing up. And if it wasn't for Bush's surge policy, well, we'd be even more screwed because of Obama. And others that followed from it uh, are lessons about what to do after a regime is overthrown. But I'd also point out because of, you know, notes for the diary. Dear diary, next time I overthrow a regime, make sure I do X about what to do after a regime is overthrown. But I'd also point out, because of President Bush's surge policy, uh, when his administration ended, uh, stability had returned to Iraq. It was not a place you'd go for vacation. Right. Uh, But he turned it over to Barack Obama, and it fell apart subsequently. (laughs) And the point I think you need to understand is that... You hear now, so this is where the tension really begins to ramp up. So the so when he called Tucker simple-minded, I think that was really what triggered Tucker. But the point you need to understand, you can hear Tucker's tense, yep, 
and it fell apart subsequently. And the point I think you need to understand. Yeah. And he he really looks at Cucker when he says that. He looks at him right in the eyes. He opens his eyes wide. You really need to understand this young man. Obama, yeah. and it fell apart subsequently. And the point I think you need to understand. Yeah is that life is complicated in the Middle East. And when you say, well, the overthrow of Saddam Hussein was a mistake, well, is simplistic. I, I would argue that I'm the one who understands how complicated it is, but just my view. Hey, you know what? Since you know, since John's on his way out of from Fox, you know, I figured Tucker's like gonna just pull the gloves off. That's what he's doing. I'm going is, straight skin, man. Simplest. I, I would argue that I'm the one who understands how complicated it is, but that's my view. It's, it's your long experience in foreign policy. <laughs> Better record than yours, I would say. Oh, oh my God, God, dude. This is getting, and, and you know, they're both smiling, which you just got to love it. It's the smile. Of, <laughs> I'll kick your ass later. Yeah. yeah like, I'm going to fucking make you pay for this in my <laughs> new position. It's so good. But look look at the smile on John's face on the right there afterwards. Just watch. It's, it's your long experience in foreign policy. <laughs> Better record than yours, I would say. Yeah, but thank you, Ambassador. Good to see sure. you. Get, get off my set. Get off my set now. Part of me feels like kind of fired up now. Uh, so yeah, and then there's also the the fact that uh, John Bolton has a fair amount of ties to Russia, uh, including several appearances on RT, which has been way more than enough in the past. As President Trump's third national security adviser gets ready to start work, Jacqueline Vuga explores how John Bolton looks likely to be the latest official to face scrutiny over alleged links to Russia. In the latest installment of the revolving door saga that's defined the Trump administration, a third national security advisor is taking over. John Bolton is an outspoken ultra-hawk seen as an advocate of big-stick diplomacy, including when it comes to Russia. The Russians have walked all over the Obama administration for eight years. It's really been a pathetic performance. Putin is, I think, making a propaganda claim here. And, of course, he's blaming us for this. He's saying, if you hadn't gotten out of the 1972 anti-ballistic missile treaty, I wouldn't have to do this. That's complete nonsense, and he knows it. You've got to build up both our cyber offensive and defensive capabilities and create structures of deterrence so it doesn't happen again. And how do you do that? In this case, you make the Russians feel pain. So not exactly in line with Trump's enduring message of the benefits of getting along with Russia. But maybe that means this is the one guy in the Trump administration who won't be accused of being a Kremlin puppet. Or not. If we look back, Bolton is not without connections to Russia. And as we all know, any hint of the wrong red, white and blue flag is more than enough to string someone up in Washington. Now, back in 2013, Bolton recorded a video for a Russian gun rights group encouraging Moscow to adopt something similar to America's Second Amendment. Uh Were the Russian national government to grant a broader right to bear arms to its people, it would be creating a partnership with its citizens that would better allow for the protection of mothers, children, and families. But given that Bolton was on the NRA's International Affairs Subcommittee at the time, it's not all that surprising or sinister. That, however, isn't stopping anyone from jumping to collusion conclusions. Now, stay with me here. The group that distributed the video was co-founded by Alexander Torshin. Yes, a Russian. And the FBI is reportedly investigating whether Torshin illegally funneled money to the NRA, which in turn used the funds to support the Trump campaign. And the Russian cherry on top is Torshin is tied to the Kremlin and President Putin himself. Uh Uh-oh. So... um, 
So if they want to really throw a fit about Bolton, they could go down that route. But I, I feel like it's not going to go that way for some reason because I, I think that would have already come up by now. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it, I just I wonder. I wonder with this appointment if we're not on a track for something not good. And, yeah, like a and, war, like a big war, and, 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 like and, a really big war. So I I was personally debating if I should bring this up before the show. Okay. Uh, because I I feel like I've maybe over soapboxed this issue, but I I just I just really feel like I got to say it again for the umpteenth time. Uh, if maybe we weren't talking so much about Russia, we'd be talking about why Donald Trump is making some of these very very hawkish appointments. Why we're spending so much on the military? Why we need to spend so much on the military? Like it's a big story. It's a really big story. Like something really big is coming. I. I don't want to say this because it's very baconish. I mean, it's probably the most one of the most baconish things I've said in a while, and maybe it's not that far fetched. Uh, but you know, North Korean President Kim Jong Un just got on his armored train. Yeah, it turns out they got a sweet fast track armored train to China. Yeah. Who knew? And he met with uh, China President Xi, right? Yeah, hopefully, I'm pronouncing his name right. And they, you know, he's saying he wants to. Uh, he's really behind this denuclearization. Yeah, he gave him the green light to, to talk right. to Trump, which yeah. doesn't that sort of imply that so, he was pulling the strings and that he had to go up there? It, you but, know, I, but I was thinking to a more extreme. Okay. What did China say, like if, say, America unilaterally went after North Korea? They basically said, hey, we're going to have North Korea's back. And now the North Korean president just met with the president of China just just on a whim right before America, you know, before the president meets with the North Korean president. I just— I don't feel I don't feel good about that for some weird we're, reason. Maybe think, I'm way off. Maybe I'm completely. I don't off. think we're going towards a hot war with China. I, we, we could go cold war, but I tell you where we're going to go hot war. I'll oh. tell you. I I, I uh, I'll red book it right now. All if, right. I don't know when. Matt, Matt get ready. Here I we can't go. red book the time. All right. But That's I can fine. I can 100 percent guarantee you. Who Judges the, will allow this. I'll tell you who the next one. Who the next target is? The the out the all out war is going to be with Iran. Israel wants it. John Bolton wants it. Trump has wanted it. I mean, he's campaigned on breaking up the Iran deal. It's going to be Iran. We're going to have a legit actual war with Iran. China's going to be a cold war, but Iran's going to be a real war. Well, Veritina reminds us, remember, with China, we already have the trade war. Trade war is kicking off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does begin. Yeah, and and Axiom's pointed out, like, you you know, it starts to brew in Yemen. I... I, uh, yeah, I, I really think Bolton is about war with Iran. But, you know, I, I, I really think the American people don't want this. And I, if, there, if there's anything that will you know, cement the, a change uh, coming elections, it would be that, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Now, I mean, remember how we went from zero to ISIS in two months? ISIL, by the way. IS. Dash. Our dash. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but we went from it was never a word we ever used other than a payment system to they're the next biggest terrorist threat bigger than al-Qaeda in like two months. And and when's the last time we've pulled it? When's the last time we played an ISIS clip on this show? That's true. And, you know, we're running out of white Toyotas to ship. <laughs> now it's Russia and Iran. Russia and Iran. Man. 
and sometimes Stormy Daniels, <laughs> especially this week. I uh, actually watched 60 Minutes. Yeah, a lot of people did. 22 million people did, plus a whole lot more people downloaded it online. So I just grabbed a couple of moments from uh, Stormy Daniels' talk with Anderson Cooper, where she talks about having sex with Donald Trump. Once before, did he mention his wife or child at all in this? I asked, and he brushed it aside, said, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, don't worry about that. We don't even, we have separate rooms and stuff. Did you two go out for dinner that night? No. You had dinner in the room? Yes. What happened next? I asked him if I could use his restroom, and he said yes. You know, it's through the, By the you know, way, through Chris, the bedroom. When, uh, on a production note only, mm. when I was watching this, first off, CBS, I think, is one of the nicest organizations when it comes to framing shots and all this. I felt her background was too blurry. It almost felt faked to me yeah they really the whole thing was yeah that and and uh let's see here uh yeah there there you can see it it's like it's it's like she's on a green screen that i that's what i thought and i was watching it on broadcast and Mm -hmm. so i was just Mm -hmm. like man that looks so fakeish yeah it does look green screen um uh but they are they are at some sort of mutual location this isn't her place this isn't her house and this isn't the cbs not a room somewhere i mean it's like a hotel room or something okay before did he mention his wife or child at all in this i asked and he brushed it aside said oh yeah yeah you know don't worry about that we don't even we have separate rooms and stuff did you two go out for dinner that night no you had dinner in the room yes what happened next i asked him if i could use his restroom and he said yes you know it's through the you know through the bedroom you'll see it so i I excused myself and i went to the the restroom you know, I was in there for a little bit and came out, and he was sitting, you know, on the edge of the bed when I walked out. Could you imagine Donald Trump sitting on the edge of the no. bed? No. Rip, tr- perched. No. How's it going? Could you imagine what he looks like? You what can you picture think? his. I like it. You like that's it. That's getting good. We like it. That's getting. That's your best one yet. I mean, you can picture his face when he's giving her like that, I'm going to fire you kind of look, like that Donald Trump like uh, stare that he has. Ugh. And she kind of like nails it in the interview with Anderson Cooper. Like it completely looks like that's how Donald Trump would have would have been when you walk out of a bathroom and there's a bed in front of the bathroom and he wants to have sex with you. That's exactly how Donald Trump would do it. Yeah. When she did that, I'm like, this is a legit story that actually convinced me. I was in there for a little bit and came out and he was sitting, you know, on the edge of the bed when I walked out. Perched. And when you saw that, what went through your mind? Uh. I realized exactly what I'd gotten myself into, and I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and I just felt like maybe uh, it was sort of, I had it coming for making a bad decision for going to someone's room alone, and I just heard the voice, and I said, well, you put yourself in a bad situation, and bad things happen, so you deserve this. Bad things happen. And you had sex with him? Yes. You were 27, he was 60. Were you physically attracted to him? No. Not at all? No. Um, her lawyer is a super high-powered lawyer. He's even been on 60 Minutes before. He's kind of like a super lawyer. Did you want to have sex with him? No. But I didn't, I didn't say no. I'm not a victim. I'm not... It was yeah. entirely consensual. Oh, yes. Yes. <clears throat> See, the, the thing about the interview that... And I, and I don't think... You know, I know some in the chat are, are saying she's a victim. I don't. I don't think so. I. I, I think that the, I did not get the impression that she feels like she's a victim at all. From no, that. no, neither do I. And what I think, though, in the bigger the bigger story, I think in this, 
was the second segment, which I don't know if you have any clips from, but when they when they went through and talked about the the campaign and the money, the so trail, that was to me let's the more get significant there. part. Uh, before we go there, I think maybe it's worth noting because this could come up again later. I mean, the reason why I'm even playing these clips is because this is going to become part of the discussion now for a bit. And the thing that could come up again, especially if they can get any evidence, is that Stormy claims that uh, her life was threatened, at least in her opinion. Six. In May 2011, Daniels agreed to tell her story to a sister publication of In Touch magazine for $15,000. Two former employees of the magazine told us the story never ran because after the magazine called Mr. Trump seeking comment, his attorney, Michael Cohen, threatened to sue. Daniels says she was never paid and says a few weeks later she was threatened by a man who approached her in Las Vegas. I was in a parking lot going to a fitness class with my infant daughter. I was taking, you know, the seats facing backwards in the back seat, diaper bag, you know, getting all the stuff out. And a guy walked up on me and said to me, leave Trump alone, forget the story. And then he leaned around and looked at my daughter and said, a beautiful little girl, it'd be a shame if something happened to her mom. I kind of, I kind of think that could have happened for two reasons. People magazine or whatever that magazine was that she was going to uh, uh, do the interview with yeah. is uh, is owned by a larger magazine. And the owner of that larger magazine is close personal friends with Donald Trump. They talk on the phone all the time. So he would have gotten a heads up about this major interview about Donald Trump. Uh, so he would have probably just personally called Donald Trump and said, hey, we're going to run a story like this. And so then Donald Trump could have mobilized his attorneys and – there is a lot of speculation based on his long business practices in New York that he has a connection to the mob. Right. So you mobilize the attorney and you mobilize your heavy. And then he was gone. You took it as a direct threat. Absolutely. I was rattled. I remember going into the workout class and my hands were shaking so much I was afraid I was going to drop her. Did you ever see the person again? No. But I, if I did, I would know it right away. I'll you'd never able, forget it. You'd be able to recognize that person. 100%. See, I'm not trying to tell you that I think that Donald Trump is some sort of monster that abuses women. I'm trying to tell you that I think this is pretty common when rich, famous people fuck porn stars. I think this is – or anybody they don't want their family or the media to know about. Like this is something that I think is common and it feels like a hit piece or it feels like she has a motivation or it feels like it must be a lie because it's so out there. But if you existed in a reality where you had – really high-profile, heavy-hitter lawyers on demand. You had the capability of spending $150,000. You had connections to heavy hitters that could take care of problems for you in the mob. And you could make a phone call and have a porn star show up at your golf resort. These things aren't all that far out there. They're all within your reach. And, And perhaps you're somebody who likes to indulge their desires. Seems pretty conceivable to me. Especially if by your third marriage you've arranged something with your wife that says, "Hey, you know, I figured I liked, I figured out something by, about myself, darling, and I feel like I should tell you this so that way our relationship is based on truth." Um, I like to grab him by the pee. I like to just come up on him and grab him by the pee. So you need to be comfortable with the fact that I'm going to be grabbing pee while we're married. But by being married to me, you're going to have uh, access to all kinds of fame, riches. You're going to have you're going to have waiters. You're going to have unlimited anything you want. Uh, and uh, turns out you're even going to get in the White House. But, you know, you got to let me grab him by the pee because I'm, I'm Donald Trump and I like to grab him by the pee. Mm. 
And, it, you know, in his reality, none of these things are outside the bounds. These are not even these are not even immoral actions uh, because that's an agreement between adults. Uh, Stormy Daniels was an adult. His lawyer is paid to do these things. Yeah. I mean, it to us seems it seems awful and immoral and it seems impossible and it seems like it must be a hit piece. Um, but the reality is, I think it's just standard business. The only gotcha this time is it involved a presidential candidate. And there is a possibility that the payment by Trump's lawyer that was 11 days before the election, right around when they were talking about grabbing him by the P, could run afoul of campaign finance laws, which are pretty tricky. The payment of the money just creates an enormous legal mess for, I think, Trump, for Cohen, and anyone else who was involved in this in the campaign. Are you saying that can be seen as a contribution to benefit a campaign? I am. It's a $130,000 in-kind contribution by Cohen to the Trump campaign, which is about 126500 above what he's allowed to give. And if he does this on behalf of his client, the candidate, that is a coordinated illegal in-kind contribution by Cohen for the purpose of influencing the election, of benefiting the candidate by keeping this secret. The payment Stormy Daniels received is the subject of complaints by watchdog groups to the Department of Justice and the Federal Election Commission, which Trevor Potter used to be chairman of. He's now president of the nonpartisan Campaign Legal Center, which supports the enforcement of campaign finance laws. If the president paid Michael Cohen back, is that an in-kind campaign contribution that the president should have then reported? It is. If he was then reimbursed by the president, that doesn't remove the fact that the initial payment violated Cohen's contribution limits. So if you're tracking, uh, if you remember, Trump's personal lawyer set up an LLC and paid Stormy Daniels $150,000 on his own initiative, according to him. Pulled out uh, money on his mortgage. Took out a second mortgage or something like that. And uh, was not told to do so, did not use Donald Trump's funds to do it, as far as we know. He was a friend. He, he would do it for any of his clients. Remove the fact that the initial payment violated Cohen's contribution limits. I guess it mitigates it if he's paid back by the candidate, because the candidate could have paid for it without limit. What if the president never reimbursed Michael Cohen? Then he is still out on the line having made a illegal in-kind contribution to the campaign. You're saying this is more serious for Michael Cohen if the president did not pay him back? Yes, I think that's correct. We wanted to... Isn't that funny? Yeah. So if he doesn't pay him back. Now, um, they talk about in the uh, 60 Minutes uh, piece, which we have the full thing here uh, in the supporter sink if you want to grab it, but they talk about in the 60 Minutes piece, uh, what was the old... Uh, or not, he's not old, but the senator who got wrapped up in a campaign finance deal because he paid off a lover who had a child. Oh. What was that guy's name? John Edwards. Edwards. So Edwards, kind of the same. It was they, they, There are some parallels, and it might be in the overtime, but there are some parallels where they, where they kind of say, you know, look, Edwards kind of got busted by the same thing. And also the, the difference between Edwards and this is Edwards had destroyed him. It, it took him out of all contention, and it was about a year out from the election. This happened within two weeks. Yeah. So I don't really know if there's been a big backlash to this interview, but uh, one thing that's happened is that the lawyers have gotten lawyers. But now to the adult film star who claimed she had an affair with the president. In the wake of her 60 Minutes interview, the legal documents are flying, and now even the lawyers 
have lawyers. Stormy Daniels says this happened more than 10 years ago when Donald Trump was not president. The documents include a cease and desist order from the president's lawyer to Stormy Daniels and a defamation suit by Daniels against the lawyer. Our justice reporter, Paula Reed takes us through it. Don't you think it's funny that they're using Stormy Daniels and not Stephanie, whatever her name is? Uh, Clifford or whatever. Yeah, like they're all calling her Stormy Daniels. (laughs) That's her porn name. They they they, They do go back and forth. It does seem, though, that Trump has a type, and uh, more of those types are coming out. Playboy playmate Karen McDougal says she was paid off to stay silent by an associate of President Donald Trump. McDougal claims she had an affair with Mr. Trump in 2006. And in a lawsuit filed today, McDougal says AMI, the company that owns the National Enquirer and whose chief executive is a friend of President Trump's, paid her $150,000 to keep her story secret. Oh, jeez, that's interesting. Because uh, that's funny. That also sounds like Stormy Daniels' story where the guy that runs the National Enquirer tipped off Donald Trump about a story they were running and they paid off Stormy Daniels $150,000. Wow. McDougal claims the agreement is invalid because the media company and her lawyer at the time misled her about the deal. <laughs> yeah. So um, either way, uh, so here's here's what I think happens is these gals, you know, back then he's uh, he's Donald Trump, a New York business, real estate mogul. Uh, maybe he's a reality TV star at that point in time. Um, and he's not the best looker. You know, you, you don't you don't level up by sleeping with Donald Trump. And so it's not like sleeping with Madonna, right? Like if like seriously, like if I could come on the air next week and say, guys, I had crazy sex with Madonna all weekend, that would contribute to my credibility. <laughs> right? It would like it legitimately if I could honestly say that, like it had actually happened, like, holy shit, Chris had sex with Madonna. That's amazing. Now, these women uh, like Stormy Daniels, it's not a net benefit to their credibility to have sex with Donald Trump. So if Donald Trump wants to come along and offer them $150,000 to not tell anybody that they had sex with Donald Trump, they're taking that deal. And it's not until he becomes a president when all of a sudden he's a way bigger fish and it matters a lot more. And that $150,000 is chump change. Now, Stormy, by the way. Did not get paid by CBS. They did not buy her breakfast. They did not even buy her a hotel room. She hauled her own ass down to that place and recorded that interview. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but it's not just uh, it's not just Karen McDougal. There's uh, two other women. Well, actually, if you count Stormy, there's a third woman. New trouble for President Trump. Three women now pursuing legal action. One over a case of alleged Once, harassment and two others twice. over alleged affairs. And in a moment right here, Three the attorney times. for former Playboy model Karen McDougal will join us. We'll ask him why she wants out of the agreement she once signed. But first, ABC's Lindsay Davis is here. So the agreement, this is really clever. <clears throat> I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show before. The agreement essentially uh, buys their the rights to their life story. So what, what Trump's lawyer is doing is uh, it's a combo NDA slash we own the rights to your life story. And so when they go out and tell their story, they're essentially infringing on the Trump organization's property, although it's, it's under this LLC, so it's not the Trump organization. Uh, and so that's the deal that these gals want out from underneath is they want to go tell, quote, their own story because they've bought their life story which would normally be used in Hollywood to like write a book or produce a movie or a lifetime TV show. 
Uh, but in this case, it's to shut them up. So you can own their life story, and then they're not allowed to talk about their life story. Isn't that incredible? It sounds, yeah. Sick. It's sick. It's so, it's so, so twisted. I think we're going to need some faith healers. We may need some faith healers. <laughs> 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 <clears throat> All right, Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. So let's shake it off. Let's shake it off. I got a real positive high note to get us out of here. Let's do a Taylor to Swift. pick it up. But before, before we jump into that high note, do you think, do before you, we relax. Do you think uh, this Stormy Daniels stuff or uh, these other two gals is really going to go anywhere? Like Trump, the public uh, polls for Trump still great. I mean, great from what they like. They didn't go down after. No, I, I, I well, the one thing that I'm, I've, I'm still interested in in the and Stormy Daniels situation is, is the whole the money, the money trail on that. Yeah, yeah. I really want to know where that goes. Uh, to be fair, you know, I think that that part of the Stormy Daniels situation will have the most legs. I think because the president got elected. All people already knew about the grabbing by the pee thing. They already it's knew. True, they already knew kind of what person this guy was, and they voted for him anyway in those key battleground places. So there you go. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder if it's also. I mean, we could also interpret this as a signal from the American people that maybe it's time for us and for our politicians to get their damn heads out of other people's arses when it comes to sexuality. Like, people are allowed to have multiple well, partners. People are understand. allowed to be gay. People are allowed to right. be, have consensual sexual relationships. Right. And maybe the American public saying, this can't be what devastates a politician's career anymore. We're used to this. This has gone back to JFK. Like, we, have, like, we don't care anymore. And, and that's fine. As long as you stick that way in your politics as well. Well, as long as it's not happening while he's in the White House. I mean, it's almost a bigger deal if you're getting your D sucked while you're in the White House yeah. than it was 10 years no, before you are in the White no, House. No, but like, you know, you know, he also ran on a little bit of a platform of morality, right? You yeah. know, oh, you know, hey, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm Well, he doing... did say he has, he did, he did also say uh, alcohol and drugs are not my vice, but I do have one vice. Uh, <laughs> you remember that? Yes, I do. I, I always thought it was sexual. I oh, he loves women. That's why he does the Miss America thing. Like he is super uh, aggressive when it comes to that stuff, and he gets away with it because he's Donald Trump, and it's what he's used to now. And the man's in his seventies. Yeah, I just, I just don't understand. You know, like I'm not. By the yeah. way, it's just what it is. I'm not yeah. saying it's good or bad. No, Everybody no. makes their own moral judgment about this stuff. But I do wonder if maybe the American public is sort of sending a signal saying this doesn't. This doesn't derail a politician's career anymore because, uh, I, yeah, you know, because really with Monica Lewinsky, it happened while Bill was in office. That is a big differentiator. Yeah, it's true. If it's distracting you from the job at hand, that's when it matters. If it's preventing you from getting the work done. I do find it interesting, though, that of all the things that, you know, the president tweets about, he hasn't really been touching this. And yeah. and, and, and that's why I wonder if when things are going serious. <laughs> so you say you think it's the campaign finance stuff. I, it's the money side of for things, me, for sure. It's the credibility because they're so emphatically denying it when it's when it now it almost seems obvious. Well, there that, was what about his credibility? Because he said, "I will never lie to you. I will never lie to you." Was one of his quotes. Uh, um, so now it really seems like not only is he lying, but Sarah Sanders Huckabee is lying. Uh, her lieutenant is lying. His his lawyer is lying. It seems like it's pretty obvious. There's well, a lot of lying going on. Well, we, we there's been it's like my son trying to argue he didn't eat the cookie. Well, there's so there's been so many 
uh, you know, misdirections by the administration that have been proven by reputable companies, you know, media companies and conglomerates, you know, fact checking. Yeah, but this is different. I know, but but I'm just saying though that. This is where you he draw did, the line. <laughs> he, did, he did tweet uh, the fake news is in like hot overdrive this weekend or something. But yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to right. the uh, let's move on to the sack. Uh, because right. I think we can only beat this. We'll just see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. It may it may it may peter out or it may develop into a mini controversy. All right. Hey, Vera Tuna writes in. By the way, Club Thirty Three. You want to get involved? Go to Patreon.com/slash/unfilter. You get direct access. Stay woke. Stay woke. And get connected right to my sack. Veratunda writes and says, Ugh, what a terrible week for anyone who had faith in politicians doing the right thing. Not only the whole FOSTA nonsense, but the uh, Cambridge Analytics uh, Facebook fallout is going nuts. Add that to the definite Russia-phobia going on, which causes so many countries to lockstep to the UK's tune and expel diplomats before any investigation has even been completed. It's for... Is that ferocious? I think uh, if it, it was not so serious, add that to the pretty poor reporting in the Western press over the fire in Kimrovo and political points scoring over the deaths of children that went along is sickening me. I oh, don't everybody. like UK politicians anymore. Hypocrisy and double standards will be the death of the representative democracy all over the no, world. No, no, I no, think. No, 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 no. Hey. No, 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 hey. No. Hey. Hey. Amber writes and says, hey, if I were to own any pinball machine, I, <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd have. How did she know to ask? Ha, I'll tell you, because if you're part of Club 33, I, I throw little Easter eggs in there. And there was a picture of me and my high score on uh, Attack from Mars. Uh, it was my favorite going up. By the way, Adam's Family, number one pinball machine of all time. Can't. Hey, what happened over a decade ago between Stormy Daniels and Trump is none of my business. I don't care what happens with someone else's sex life, and I'd hope nobody cared about mine. Yeah. The Omnibus budget has big flaws. Yeah, big flaws. Omnibus. Omnibus. I'm a big proponent of small government, and this budget has so much pork that you can't eat all the bacon. That is so true. Stay tuned. Top of the overtime. I've got a clip related to this. I mean, I mean, and that that bugs me, too, by the way, because, you know, it was, what, 2,200 pages. It was literally passed within 24 hours. I do commend uh, Senator Paul for saying, you know, I want to read the whole damn thing. Well, then you're going to get fired up about what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer had to say uh, about need, it. need some faith healers here. Hey, if you want to be a part of the Club 33 and my sack, head over to patreon.com slash unfiltered. But don't worry. If you're not a Club 33er, we still love you anyway. Oh, my gosh, it's Anderson. Thanks to all the new supporters who have joined us and are keeping our show going strong. Absolutely. And now, Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. It is time for the high note. I know. Mommy needs a joy. Mommy. And uh, I thought maybe we'd start it out with a celebrity edition. I don't think we've ever done this. No? Did you know that Morgan Freeman, total pothead. Did you know this? I'm not shocked by this. One of your fans wanted to ask about your love of marijuana, and one, another wants to know your favorite strain. Yeah, that's Larry King. Isn't uh, it Larry, amazing? Larry, Larry King uh, here. I, um, got that, that, that vocal fry. I don't, I haven't. What's uh, the Rockies? I'm not that much of a connoisseur, so I don't know what strains are. If, <laughs> if you have some good smoke. 
uh, try this. He's get, all about is, it. Is it Get Busy Living by Get Busy Dying? He's like, if you got some good smoke, let me know. And legitimately, people in the YouTube comments of this video are recommending good smoke to Morgan Freeman. <laughs> One dude even puts his phone number in there. He's like, what? hey, Morgan, call me. I'll hook you up. <laughs> oh, so Morgan's like, if you got some good smoke, let me know. And you know Morgan Freeman's going back to the YouTube comments and taking notes. If you have some good smoke. Uh, try this. Yeah. And you think it's going to be legal everywhere? Yeah, I do. It ought to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it has to be. I, you know, they, they can't continue to say that it's a dangerous drug, but it's safer than alcohol. <laughs> it's a lot safer. Yeah. What do you always say? What do you always say? Show me the money. You do. You do and, say that. But you also always say, you always say it's uh, it's going to have to be, the government's going to have to acknowledge the fact that they have a patent for it, that they also understand it has medical properties. Yes, yes. They have and, to reschedule it. And right now, they are playing to the pharmaceutical yeah. companies, because right now, uh, freaking Canada, you know, by the summer. I know, I, I know. You know and, Don't even, dude, they've got health care, they've got, I, they've got lots of land. I know. <laughs> I, are, are just, you saying? Are you saying that we're relocating? Just, just yeah, to the yeah. most expensive city in the world. Unfiltered Canada edition. <laughs> All right. So I thought. Okay. So for the celebrity edition of the high note, I, you know, I uh, uh, I thought maybe I could go get like uh, anybody really. There would just be a, a celebrity that would just be really impressive. But I thought there's probably one celebrity that would resonate the most with Chase and I. And that would be Captain Picard, all on board with Medical Pot. So here is Sir Patrick Stewart advocating for access, for a child to get access, I should say, to medical cannabis. Thank you very much for joining me, Hannah. Uh, Hannah Deacon and Alfie, who's just over there. A lot of supporters, including Sir Patrick Stewart, who's been supporting Alfie's case. Sir Patrick, just very quickly, we've only got a few seconds, but just outline the reasons you're supporting Alfie's case. Because it's exceptional and it's urgent. And the longer, wider process of the uses of medical marijuana in the UK will have to be discussed. But this case has extreme urgency attached to it. And I would hope that the Home Office will come to some conclusion in Alfie's favor very, very quickly. Man, what a gentleman. I love that man. I, I, that feels like grandpa right there. It's really something. And so Captain Freakin' Bacard advocating for access to medical marijuana. I don't know if it gets much better than that. The only thing that gets better than that, really, I suppose, would be people who could get their records expunged for marijuana convictions in locations now that have legalized pot. Case number and then the felony. Picture a drug dealer. You're probably not imagining someone like Brianna Quintanilla, a 26-year-old mother of three. But her rap sheet is a novella of wrongdoing. Easy money, easy pay, fun life. Um, which then led me to prison. She got out in January. Now she wants to make a new start, get a job. Marijuana-related or something else? It was a lot. Which is why she's here. In this tent, legal experts are holding a so-called expungement fair. California's new pot laws provide a pathway for people to overturn marijuana convictions. According to one estimate, almost half a million Californians might be eligible. Hundreds of those are here now, getting free advice on how to go about it. Look at the crowd. Most are Latinos and African-Americans, not because they commit more marijuana offenses than white people, experts say, but because they're three times more likely to be arrested for them. And what legislation like the marijuana regulation in California and others have done is have begun to scale back 
the history of the war on drugs and its devastating effect it's had in communities. This has been something I've been meaning to do for a long time now. 40-year-old Donald Bailey. Good family, good education, great job, bad past. I was just hypnotized by the street life. But surely, he said. (laughs) You know? Wow. You know, we've all been there, Chase. We've all been there. So... Uh, so people getting their records expunged, you know, there's also the economy of marijuana. And I've always said the biggest moneymaker is going to be once the normals get their hands on edibles and it's fancy edibles, good edibles, you know, that kind coconut of coconut milk. It has some activated charcoal inside, which gives us the black color. There are a lot of ingredients in Chef David Yusuf Zadeh's gourmet ice cream. So this will actually be served with a miso caramel. But he's hoping to add one more ingredient soon, marijuana. For ice cream, you can add so many different flavors, so many different compounds together. So it's, I think it's kind of the, the, the perfect match. Yusuf Zadeh is already an accomplished chef. He's worked at fine dining restaurants from Hong Kong to Boston. But in 2011, he was faced with a life-altering illness, especially for a chef, Crohn's disease. It's painful to the point where you can't go to a sporting event, go to a restaurant, go to a family function. Man, that guy could have come up with a couple of better options. Yeah. Like, he starts with sporting event. Like, uh, it's there's way worse things you than that. You can't go to a sporting event, go to a restaurant, go to a family function. But I do think he's on to something. Fancy desserts with pot. But- But he found relief with the help of CBD, the compound found in cannabis that is not psychoactive. I would wake up and feel as if I hadn't taken any any medicine. As he looked around the marijuana edible market, Yusuf Zadeh wasn't impressed and thought he could make a better product. He turned to ice cream. The high fat content helps deliver the marijuana extract, which he buys as a liquid more quickly. We really wanted something that wasn't gonna feel like medicine. Now with the legalization of recreational marijuana, he believes that will translate into big business. His company Cloud Creamery plans to start selling his ice cream by the pint. This time with THC. That's the part of cannabis that does produce a high. You had said we were talking earlier, I said five years from now, where you see the business. <laughs> and I said three months. You want to have a business up and running in three months? Or less. Uh, you know, we already have kind of our application in queue. If it gets one of the state's manufacturing licenses, Cloud Creamery hopes to produce its products somewhere in Metro West. I already want you some, know, You know, even without the pot, that looks damn good. I know. I already want some. <laughs> I'm hungry. Especially when he puts the caramel on there, buddy. Oh, Chris. Oh. You know, so if people want to see you, by the mm. way, Chris, and like mm. take pictures of ice cream or food or whatever, yeah, sure. what's a good outlet for people to head to? For um, you? For, for pictures of ice cream, why not go to twitter.com slash chrislas or uh, follow the uh, holding network at Jupiter Signal. We've also got the telegram, uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram, and the new show page, unfiltered.show. And Mr. Chase, yes. if people want to follow you throughout the week, where should yeah. they go? They can head over to twitter.com slash newness, N-U-N-E-S. We didn't talk about Devin this week. I, I feel terrible about that, really. Oh, yeah. He needs to go make some news. That's what right. he needs to do. Also, you want to see all my gaming stuff? Did you want to check out some pinball stuff? Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash geekgamertv. And we have a Discord channel, too, discord.gg slash geekgamertv. We're chatting things up. Very nice. Yeah. irc.geekshed.net for our IRC room, Hound on Filter, and discord.me slash Colony for that if you want some of that shenanigans. But guys and gals, why not join us live? jblive.tv. We do this show on a Wednesday. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. 
to get that converted in your local time. Yes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode on filter.show slash contact for your feedback. Don't forget the RSS feed's brand new, and you just might need to subscribe because you might have the bogus fake news feed. Fake, fake feed. Overtime coming up. Otherwise, see you right back here next week. Everything you hear on the internet. Show's not over yet. It's time for overtime! Fuck the EU. I, I just whine because I want to win. And I know that each of you understand you have the power. Stay woke! Reclaiming my time. Thank you to our supporters over at patreon.com slash unfilter for making the overtime possible. You guys are why I get on the stream early. I record this overtime just for you. It's the extra stuff that I wanted to put in the show, but I needed a damn good reason to do it. And you, you are that damn good reason. Thank you for going to patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you to Sam, Anton, and Chris, our new patrons this week. Three new subs at patreon.com slash unfiltered. This segment's dedicated to you and everybody like you in the future, in the past. You're just so damn great. Thank you so much. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Now, we are gathered here today to do the overtime. And if you have been around for uh, any period of time, you know we like to start out by giving Nancy Pelosi personally a hard time. Um, it's because she's a woman and old. No, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, my God. How could you think that? Jeez, what's the matter with you? Wow. No, no, no. It's it's simply because she represents the total and awesome rot that is the establishment Democratic Party, the corporatist Democrats like Nancy, like old Chucky boy. And they were together at the podium celebrating the new omnibus bill, all of the spending, bragging about how tall it was, bragging about how much earmarks were slammed into this bill. Just giddy about it. Uh, the, the distinguished leader has clearly put forth many of the priorities that we're very proud of in a, in a bill that is it's, it's one yard high. It's one yard high. About half of it is uh, the bill and a quarter of it are... Earmarks and another quarter. So um, if you're not watching this show, you're missing the impressed expression that she has on her face and the approving grin that old Chucky Schumer, who just sits there wandering in and out of consciousness as she speaks. Watch his body language, too. It's clear that he struggles to even stay present. And Nancy Pelosi is gloating about the size of this thing. So big. Forth many of the priorities that we're very proud of in in a bill that is it's one yard high. It's one yard high. About half of it is uh, the bill, and a quarter of it are earmarks, and another quarter is report language. And uh, it's interesting to see from the standpoint of regular order why the Republicans thought that that would be a good idea. Well, I think one of the reasons they rushed it through, taking, uh, posting it last night, taking it to rules on the floor today, 
not honoring the three-day rule, uh, they didn't want their Republican colleagues to see just exactly what was in the bill. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows that uh, Republicans hate it when other Republicans see what's in bills. They hate that. Uh, because this bill was a victory uh, for investment in our future, protecting, oh. uh, supporting our middle class, oh, okay. and doing so in a way that was pr- producing good-paying jobs. All right, so there you go. It's a victory, and it does so in a way that produces good-paying jobs. Chuck and Nancy are pretty happy about it, um, but she has a bit of an issue when she's up on stage in general. Sometimes her brain just kind of freezes. Wow. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that great? Oh, no. As representatives, so many of you in the Office of Strategic Services, as the longest-serving member of the Congressional Intelligence Committee, I know very well, but couldn't possibly know as well as you, how great your contribution was to the success of America in World War II. Uh, to welcome you on behalf of many of my colleagues or many House colleagues and Senate colleagues who are here today. And in intelligence, and when we're, um, especially some years gone by, uh, to protect our troops, I hope you take great satisfaction. Your heroism hidden from the public, the American public. We celebrate your vital role and we ensure the sacrifices as we ensure the sacrifices that you made during the darkness of world. You get the point. I think you get the point that I'm trying to make here. Now, what do we do about this? Because I'll tell you, I watched this pretty closely, the whole um, discussion around Nancy Pelosi. Is she a problem? Is she a, is she a liability for the Democrats? And um, the heat's getting turned down. It's, uh, they're dialing it back. I don't think she's going to be kicked out. I don't think she's going to get run out of town. I think uh, she raised enough money. Uh, she rolled with enough punches. Um, I don't, I don't think Nancy Pelosi's done yet. I don't think she's gone. I don't know. I, we had such good momentum going, (laughs) you know, you know what I mean though? Like we were doing so good. Like people were becoming aware people, you know, as they say, I don't know if you guys say this, but as they say, uh, people were being awoke. My millennials stay woke to the issue that is Nancy Pelosi. But uh, it seems that she has maybe perhaps triumphed yet again. Don't know. We'll see if the uh, Seth Rich family triumphs against Sean Hannity. They're suing not once, but twice. The brother of murdered DNC staffer Seth Rich is suing right-wing activists and media organizations for pushing conspiracy theories about his brother's death. It's an unsolved murder, one that police say was probably a robbery gone wrong. You know, probably. You know, probably. That didn't stop some on the right from promoting unfounded claims trying to tie Seth Rich to the DNC hacking. His brother, Aaron Rich, is now suing, accusing the Washington Times and others of acting with reckless disregard for the truth. His lawsuit comes weeks after his parents filed a separate lawsuit against Fox News and others for their role in pushing the conspiracy theory, an effort in which one figure looms particularly large. So, yes, there are now two lawsuits from Seth Rich's family, one from the brother and one from the parents. Gary Tuckman tonight reports. Another massive breaking news story, explosive developments in the mysterious murder of former DNC staffer Seth Rich. Now watch what they're about to do here. This is revisionist history, and it's really pretty slick how they do it. They're about to paint the entire Seth Rich conspiracy as if it were concocted by Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and a few other right-wing commentators. Which is so disingenuous. It is. It is so. It, it took. It took Sean Hannity and others 
over a year after Seth Rich was murdered to even say his name, to even talk about it. They were not the originators of any kind of Seth Rich quote-unquote theory. That happened the moment he was murdered. The internet began to speculate what was going on. It happened instantly. It was the result of hundreds of people on different forums looking into things saying, this doesn't add up. It had nothing to do with Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity was handed a story with a beautiful bow on top. Sean Hannity of Fox News, hyping a conspiracy theory about the murder of a young man named Seth Rich. This issue is so big now that the entire Russia collusion narrative is hanging by a thread. The conspiracy theory concocted by right-wing commentators was this. Oh, there it is. Did you know? The whole Seth Rich murder theory was concocted by right-wing commentators. That is their attempt to devalue it. A thread. The conspiracy theory concocted by right-wing commentators was this. The 26-year-old Rich, who worked for the Democratic National Committee, had leaked DNC emails to WikiLeaks. It wasn't the Russians who did it. And the murder was committed by someone with ties to the DNC as a retaliatory action. Never mind that there was and is no evidence of that. Sean Hannity was happy to make it all part of his TV and radio shows. Oh, Sean Hannity. Oh, well, when I hear Sean Hannity's name as a CNN viewer, I emotionally get triggered. Is there any evidence that he might have been disgruntled that the treatment of Bernie Sanders and the unfairness and that the fix was in to to put Hillary in that position and maybe had evidence of that? You know, again, there wasn't any evidence at all. You know, the idea that uh, that was all uh, something that Sean just uh, made up right there during the question. You know, maybe he was a Bernie supporter. Um, I also randomly, without ever reading anything on the Internet, suspect maybe he liked pandas. And um, you know what? I'm also just going to randomly assume that he liked the American flag and had an outfit where he was completely dressed in the American flag. Um, I haven't read any of the things that have been speculated about on the Internet for the entire year that started before I ever covered this story because all of these things are being made out from my mouth right here while I'm on air for the very first time. Sanders and the unfairness and that the fix was in to to put Hillary in that position and maybe had evidence of that. But again, there wasn't any evidence at all. It was all made up. Seth Rich was murdered. The other thing they're doing there is the evidence that Sean Hannity would be referring to is the evidence that Seth Rich found himself, that there was some sort of conspiracy against Bernie Sanders, which we know to have been true. We also know, based on his public profiles, that he was a Bernie supporters fan. So these are some of the quote-unquote evidence that he's asking about. He's not asking about evidence in the case against Seth Rich's murder. He's not, he's not talking about that evidence. He's talking about evidence that Seth may have found that motivated him to become a leaker. But they conflate the two things here because they do a selective edit and then they say, but there is no evidence. But that's... They're two different kinds of evidence. You follow what I'm saying again, here? To, to put Hillary in that position and maybe had evidence of that? Maybe he had evidence of that. He being Seth Rich. They're not talking about the murder trial at this case. They're not talking about that evidence, but yet the CNN commentator conflates the two things. But again, there wasn't any evidence at all. It was all made up. Seth Rich was murdered. 
but evidence has always pointed towards a botched robbery, according to D.C. police. You know, the evidence like his watch was left, his wallet was left. There was some kind of struggle that doesn't seem to be indicative of a of a robbery. Those same those. Oh, oh, and also that he was murdered in an area that has extremely historically low crime. Those things all ed- ed- obviously, obviously point to a botched robbery. Rich was murdered. But evidence has always pointed towards a botched robbery, according to D.C. police. Despite that, Hannity continued to fan the flames night after night. It took pressure from advertisers pulling their commercials from his show for Fox to finally take action. Releasing a statement regarding the original Seth Rich story, published by its reporter Malia Zimmerman, who is also now being sued by Seth Rich's parents. This is where the things are going to get dicey, is there was some shenanigans between the reporter that Fox used and what information he got and how he got it. That is legit shenanigans. The article was not initially subjected to the high degree of editorial scrutiny we require for all reporting. Of course. On appropriate review, the article was found not to meet those standards and has since been removed. After that statement was released online... Hannity on his radio show made it clear he did not agree with the concept of backing down. I am not Fox.com or FoxNews.com. Amid all this, Seth Rich's family released a statement. The amount of pain and anguish this has caused us is unbearable. With every conspiratorial flare-up, we are forced to relive Seth's murder. Um, maybe stay off 4chan. And a small piece of us dies as more of Seth's memory is torn away from us. I feel like they this is a really insensitive thing to say, but don't where the hell is this coming from? It's not like somebody is posting this shit to their Facebook feed. Sean Hannity later declared out of respect for the family's wishes for now. I am not discussing this matter at this time. But in case Hannity's fans thought he meant he would never mention it again, he threw them a bone. I am continuing the work that I promised to do every day for you, and at the proper time, we shall continue and talk a lot more. Gary Tuckman, CNN, Atlanta. Well, the lawsuit filed by Seth Rich's brother, uh, Aaron, is against the Washington Times, an online activist and his media company and a Texas businessman. Joining me now is Michael Gottlieb, attorney for Aaron Rich. Thanks for, for being with us. The defendant named in today's lawsuit, can you explain how they were dragging uh, your client Seth's brother into this? Yeah, well, the, uh, thanks for having me, Anderson. The, the introduction that uh, you showed the viewers at the start of this piece was sort of about the prelude to this suit, which was the story that existed about the Seth Rich conspiracy right. from around January until May. Uh, after that, uh, these defendants that are named in the lawsuit today decided to make Aaron Rich, Seth's brother, the target of the conspiracy theory and sort of named him as the technical mastermind behind the leak and also somebody who took money from WikiLeaks into his personal bank account. Uh, That started around the summer of 2017. So this is what it's really about. You see, the media positions it as uh, Seth Rich's murder, but it's really about now that these internet sleuths, which all of a sudden now are part of the conversation, even though this entire thing was supposed to be a right-wing commentator concoction, now all of a sudden internet sleuths have have that uh, unnamed until this until we are this far into the clip 
<laughs> uh, all of a sudden now they have connected that Seth Rich's brother may have been the technical brains behind the operation and taken money. And sort of named him as the technical mastermind behind the leak and also somebody who took money from WikiLeaks into his personal bank account. Uh, that started around the summer of 2017 and the allegations grew more grotesque from there. They started to allege that Aaron Rich warned Seth's girlfriend to break up with him and leave D.C. Uh, because he knew in advance that the murder was coming. They made up a meeting that purportedly occurred at the DNC where Aaron threw a chair at Donna Brazil. All of this, all of it is made up. And they said, hmm, makes you want to go uh, Google it, doesn't it? Jeez uh, Louise. It's just the st- I, I, I guess I just didn't expect that we'd still be talking about Seth Rich by now. I didn't expect that. Uh, so uh, let's shift. Let's shift because that's just going to be one of those things that goes through the courts and it's just going to take a long, long time. And we need swift action. We need swift action in the face of Iranian cyber criminals. A massive hacking campaign targeted universities around the world and state governments, including Hawaii. We checked, and state officials said no confidential information was breached. Tell me if you noticed that the vibe of this newscast is just a little different. It's just a little different. It's a little chill. Manolo Morales has details. Manolo? Joe, the state tells us that 37 email accounts from the executive branch may have been compromised, but it was reported immediately to law enforcement. Dude standing there in a Hawaiian shirt, which is just great. (laughs) Officials say the hackers targeted more than 100,000 email accounts from universities around the world and were able to get into about 8,000 of them. They used what's known as password spraying, basically trying out common passwords for all the accounts targeted. It kind of prevents the lockout mechanism with the tree tries. Actually, we don't call that spraying. We call that brute force. But, you know, I guess password spraying is a new term. That's fun. I like the sounds kind of fun. Because you just let it run and you wait. And then it says, hey, hey. three accounts opened up. Hey, man. Cybersecurity expert Chris Duque says. <laughs> so, uh. Cybersecurity Chris Duque is uh, expert here. Is in a Hawaiian shirt himself. Uh, hey man, and he's in his backyard next to his barbecue. These Hawaiian news people know how to do it. This is how freaking news should be done all the time. This is a three accounts opened up. Cybersecurity expert Chris Duque says this should serve as a warning for everyone to have a secure password. Hackers also trick their victims into clicking onto links that then compromise their email accounts. Duque adds that when you click on a link, make sure you know where it came from by double-checking the sender's address. Because the email, say, might have a mono, uh, Manolo at KHON, but the O is a zero instead. They just glance over it. They just glance. See, this guy, this guy is an expert. Oh, you guys see one E and there was an extra E. And I've had cases where... He's got cases because he's an expert. Why the hell am I in podcasting? Why aren't I doing cybersecurity? Jeez, look. High-level people in our organizations didn't read the complete email. No. And they believe it to be authentic. Yeah. And then they get victimized. He points out that you should always think twice when clicking on a link from an email. Hey! As for the 37 state email accounts, officials tell us they did not contain confidential information and that the state's computer systems where confidential information is stored was never breached. Joe. There you Thanks, go. Manolo. Thanks, Manolo. Thanks, Joe. Good job, everybody. <laughs> I want all news like that from now on. I want all news like that. Uh, I've been covering the Vegas shooter as we get little bits of details in the overtime. And the New York Times put together a like 12-minute video 
of uh, Stephen Pollock, the Vegas shooters, a couple of days leading up to the shooting, and it's so creepy. It's just so gross. It's just weird because the dude just goes about gambling. Uh, he's joking with the staff, like all smiles, just shaking hands, chatting up like a like a regular. Uh, just. It's so weird to watch. And um, NBC put together kind of like a highlight reel of this longer piece that the New York Times put out this week. Surveillance images show Stephen Paddock calmly checking in at the Mandalay Bay's VIP desk. It's Monday, September 25th, nearly a week before the shooting. After eating alone at a sushi restaurant, Paddock drives his car to valet where a bellman unloads five suitcases. Police say Paddock stays with the luggage and asks to use the service elevators instead of guest elevators, a request that's not uncommon. Later that night, he leaves the hotel with two suitcases, driving an hour to his home in Mesquite. It's a routine that repeats itself. Tuesday, Paddock returns to Mandalay Bay, where a different bellman helps him move seven more suitcases. He's got a room checked out this entire time. The room he shot from is checked out. He's, he's booked it this whole time. He's kind of coming and going. Thursday, he brings a white container and three more bags. And over the weekend, two more trips home. In all, at least 21 suitcases plus smaller bags are brought to his 32nd floor suite. As Paddock gradually amasses 23 guns and thousands of rounds of ammo. 23 guns. And thousands, 23 guns. So remember, it's not its not like it's a massive artillery, but it's a decent amount of guns. 23 guns. Undiscovered killers who are planning things go about their preparation in a pretty mundane, routine fashion. Hey, here's, a, here's an unfiltered hot tip for you. Uh, it's not just uh, mass killers that uh, do that. It's all psychopaths. Yep, a little... Uh, Little uh, hot tip there for you on the unfiltered program. All psychopaths, they just go about their uh, day like it's their regular day because it is a regular day for them. See, that's that's the trick, is they're always crazy. Going thousands of rounds of ammo. Undiscovered killers who are planning things go about their preparation in a pretty mundane, routine fashion. Between the trips home, he's seen playing video poker and chatting with employees. The video was released by MGM Resorts, which says Stephen Paddock gave no indication of what he planned to do, and his interactions with staff and overall behavior were all normal. The final image shows Paddock walking off an elevator Sunday nearly 10 hours before the massacre. What the footage doesn't explain is why he did it. Joe Fryer. NBC News. <clears throat> yeah, why did he do it? Well, um, let's talk, let's talk about that. There's probably uh, there's probably more cases of this than we realize. It's just they don't get to the point where the guy flips and starts shooting civilians. They usually are successful transactions. You see, before they have to go and do something with all those guns. A Texas couple is behind bars tonight in Massachusetts after police found a massive military-grade arsenal in their hotel room and their car. Yep, that's this week. This story is from this week. Another couple was found with tons of guns in their hotel room. Now, what were they doing? Why did why did they have this? Did they did they like to just shoot guns? It happened over the weekend in Tewksbury. The discovery among the items of bump stock, a silencer, semi-automatic long guns, ammunition, and explosive devices. Franco Bradley and Adrian Jennings were taken into custody. Bradley telling police that he was on a mission for a secret government agency. The FBI is now on the case, looking into the claim. Next, now they can uh, make it sound like he's a crazy person. But I gotta fry a little bacon. 
What if this happens more than we realize? What if this is how we get batches of guns to terrorists? I mean, we all know that the U.S. finances, aids, and trains terrorists, and you've got to get them those beautiful American-made guns somehow, and you can only funnel so many guns through Turkey and other NATO allies. Let's be honest. I mean, like, even there, like, somebody's going to notice. It looks excessive. So you've got to find ulterior routes. So you do these small-time chicken-shit gun dealer operations, and you run guns through them in small-batch operations that's untraceable back to you. And the thing that really makes me consider that for Stephen Paddock is the emails they released where he was emailing another account saying, yeah, just come and take a look at these things. I got all options for you. Like he's a salesman in the email thread. He's selling. So when I hear that there's a couple (laughs) that got arrested with guns in their hotel room in their car and they say they were selling guns for a secret government agency, I don't think it's as crazy. I mean, look at Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious was a real thing that Eric Holder was responsible for that happened under Obama. That really happened. And that's got to be just one incy teensy tiny example of something that goes on all the time. These guns don't grow on trees. Everybody's getting these guns somehow. I don't know. Maybe it's Russia. Let's just blame it all on Russia. Other news, the BBC is under fire for its alleged bias against opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn. Viewers claim the channel is deliberately trying to portray the UK Labour Party head as too Russian. Yep, too Russian. He's too Russian. Deliberately trying to portray the UK Labour Party head as too Russian. Anastasia Cherkina has the story. Take a look at this image that the BBC used in one of its flagship news programs, causing quite a stir in the UK. Look, Jeremy's been on, Jeremy has been on the right side of history for the last 35 years. He's on the right side of history on Libya, on the right side of history on Afghanistan, the right side of history in relation to Iraq. So which, which side of history is he on? The picture depicts opposition party leader Jeremy Corbyn on Red Square, wearing something that strongly resembles a Russian hat. And here is the original image. Suffice it to say, Twitter wasn't happy. They altered the image a bit, made it look more red. That is kind of funny. That's too Russian. It's too damn Russian. Now, if you listen to Tech Talk today, you already know about this particular story, but I thought I'd share it with the unfiltered crowd. China's out-of-control space station about to fall from the sky, and there is a chance some of that debris will make it here. Here's ABC's Matt Gutman tonight. Matt? What went up in 2011 is about to come down in a blizzard of fiery debris. The Chinese lost contact with the bus-sized Tiangong-1 space station in early 2016. Since then, it's been an eight-and-a-half-ton time bomb destined to crash back into Earth from its decaying orbit about 80 miles up. Uh-oh. As you see in this simulation, much of it will burn up, but up to 7,000 pounds of space junk could still make it through and hit Earth. Uh-oh. Scientists say it's most likely to hit along that yellow band, long stretches of which are over the U.S. from California to New Jersey. Actually, that's southern Oregon, you jerks. Spectacular. The reentry would look similar to the disintegration of this space freighter in 2008. Whoa. Lottie Williams has the distinction of being the only person ever hit by space junk. <laughs> but it looked like fire. It was like this big ball of fire. We couldn't see anything. You couldn't hear anything. That was from a Delta rocket in 1997, and she wasn't hurt. 
David, that space station is predicted to make re-entry sometime between Friday and next Wednesday. And while pieces of space junk like this look formidable, we're told there's only a chance of one in 10,000 that a human anywhere on Earth would get hit. Big money, big money, big money. Um, April 1st. I'm shooting for April 1st. That's what, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. April 1st. Come on. You can do it. Come on. Let's do it. Okay. So there's a couple of different clips that I wanted to wrap up with. But um, I thought instead, instead of like drudging us through more and more news, which I do have some more stuff if you're watching the live stream, uh, and we are going to be changing the way we post the Unfiltered Live show, so this is going to be more applicable than ever. I thought, let's end it with an example of a storyteller, maybe one of the better storytellers of our time. This is a man who got interviewed by a local news affiliate and then... The clip goes viral because he's one of the funniest, best storytellers of our time. And uh, I don't believe I exaggerate at all. I think you shall agree. Take Check this out. Intruders caught on camera invading houses. So could something like this happen to you? Dave Rowe knows all too well how it feels to have his home broken into. Yeah, and see, that's what the problem was. Because I heard him first. I said, hold on. I said, hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. Because then I start to taste them. I say. And then I start to smell them. So it's like a smell that tastes like. I was like so I knew something was wrong. I knew something special about it. You know? So so what did you do when you heard the intruder? I ran upstairs. I had to run. And I had to do what that little girl. What's that little girl uh, in the Holocaust? She had a. Uh, she was Ann Hathaway. Aunt Frank, Frank and Beverly. And Frank. That's a hiding bitch, ain't it? <laughs> I had to get up the stairs. So he had so much rhythm when he was walking up the stairs. That doom, doom, doom. Bitch, I started to almost beatbox up in the closet. Oh, boom, boom, boom. But I couldn't do it yet because I couldn't die. I got caught tomorrow. So I'm just a little shook up. He's got caught tomorrow. <laughs> 